Hey, Toby. What's this? Huh. I just want to remind everyone about the company rules involving PDA, or public displays of affection. Yes, uh, some people in the office have complained. Oh, really? About some other people engaging in PDA. And, you know, just want to remind, it's not appropriate to, to do that. The head of CNN, Jeff Zucker, resigned today. He told staff in an email that he had failed to disclose a romantic relationship with a colleague as soon as it began, as company policy required him to do. It is a shocking end to one of the most powerful careers in TV news today. NPR media correspondent David Falkenflick joins us now. Hey, David. Hey, Tam. So what exactly did Zucker do to lead to his resignation? Well, he acknowledged that he had a relationship with a senior colleague, not just any colleague. It's CNN's chief marketing officer, a woman named Allison Gallist, who has worked with him for many years at CNN and also in a previous uh, tenure at NBC had worked closely with Zucker as well. He disclosed this, but acknowledged that he had not disclosed this at the outset of the relationship as he's required to do under corporate policy. Gallist wrote her own uh, memo uh, and public statement acknowledging the relationship, saying that uh, this happened during COVID. And that's really in some ways a question of timing as well. That is that they had been rumored for some years in the tabloids to have been linked. uh, But this is what she said in her statement and that she intends to stay on at CNN. Despite possibly being an open secret, this decision to announce that he was leaving does come as a surprise. Um, How did the relationship officially come to light? This is best thought of as the latest shoe to drop in the scandal that took down former New York state governor Andrew Cuomo, uh, the CNN star's older brother. Chris Cuomo's activities on behalf of his brother came under public criticism as documents surfaced in the state investigation of the former governor. Jeff Zucker defended uh, Chris Cuomo for quite some time. And then as new information came to light late last year, he fired Chris Cuomo. But during the investigation, Zucker himself was asked about his relationship with Allison Gallist. Why? Well, Gallist had worked for former Governor Cuomo, too. This came up. He acknowledged the involvement, but he also acknowledged he hadn't revealed the involvement at the outset. What's wild about this is that Zucker took a lot of heat for what happened with the Cuomo brothers, in particular during the pandemic, when they were both on TV, uh, sort of yucking it up and and sort of the journalism ethics problems involved in all of that. And then Chris Cuomo's later efforts to help his brother. And yet none of that is what took him down. Well, there's no explicit corporate policy about having bad news judgment or making editorial mistakes in the way there is about, you know, workplace relationships. What Chris Cuomo did was, as you suggest, allow his brother, then the sitting governor of Andrew Cuomo before a national audience to serve as a comedic sparring partner and be hailed as something of a hero of the pandemic, even as what later turned out, there were significant questions about uh, unreported deaths at nursing homes and other questions and suppression of statistics that came to light that reflected much more negatively on the governor in a way that CNN should have been covering instead of just been joking. So with Zucker now leaving, where does that leave CNN? What happens next? Well, right now, CNN and its uh, corporate parent, uh, Warner Media, is being sold to Discovery. And they're waiting for approval from federal regulators uh, that's supposed to or at least projected to wrap up within the next couple of months. Uh, It leaves CNN leaderless. It, It creates only more uncertainty for the people of CNN who are already stunned by the announcement of this resignation. NPR's David Falkenflick, thank you. You bet. I believe the children are our future. Teach them well and let them lead the way. Show them all the beauty they possess inside.
We're going to turn to a subject you might be dealing with, caring for preschool children. Millions of parents and caregivers have been facing tough decisions over the past two years. And now, in the middle of this latest COVID wave, it's gotten even tougher because in many parts of the country, daycare centers are shutting down, either because kids are sick or teachers and staff are. And so parents are left stranded, often with little warning. So yes, parents are struggling, but the people who care for and educate young children are struggling too. Child care is some of the lowest paid work in the country. And employment data from the Bureau of Labor Statistics shows that the child care industry has lost more than 100,000 workers since the start of the pandemic. The pandemic turned a spotlight on a problem that's existed and many feel is getting worse. So we wanted to talk with somebody who's been dealing with this. So we called Brenda Hawkins, who's operated a small home-based daycare in Upper Marlboro, Maryland for the last 24 years. And she's with us now. Brenda Hawkins, Miss Brenda, thank you so much for talking with us today. Yes, ma'am. Thank you for contacting me. Now, you, gosh, you've pretty much cared for a generation uh, now. If you've been in the business this long, how did you get into this field to begin with? Well, I was working my way through college. You know, I I thought that I was going to be a nurse. I would go to the hospital, do my clinical tonight, and I'm going to tell you, I would I'll be working with my children during the day, and it was just, there was no comparison. I simply love what I do working with children while working in the healthcare profession. It just wasn't for me. One of the things that I think is a shock to a lot of people when they start having kids is how expensive childcare is. On the other hand, childcare is some of the lowest paid work with a high responsibility. And I'm just wondering, what do you think about that, that disconnect between the fact that it, it's so expensive on the one hand, but childcare workers make so little on the other? Exactly. So when it comes to, to the parents and the amount that they pay for childcare, I don't think that they really understand until you break it down into an hourly wage. So we work an average of uh, 40 to 60 hours per week. A lot of us work more along the lines of that 60 hours per week. And when you're talking about spending $200 for childcare, that actually breaks down to an hourly rate of $3.33. When you break it down that way to parents, they tend to understand a little bit better. When you actually look at the job that we do and the amount of hours we spend with the children, it's really not expensive at all. And, you know, some things that child care providers struggle with is the amount of money that we pay and also the lack of benefits. Like what? I mean, you don't have, how do you take care of yourself, for example? I am fortunate that I have a husband that works outside of the home that has an employer that offers health insurance. However, there are providers who don't. And so they find themselves paying costly premiums for health insurance. And so that's one problem that we have in child care. Another is that, you know, there's when it comes to retirement, there's a lot of providers that find themselves working well into their 60s and 70s because they simply can't afford to retire. Why do you think so many child care workers are quitting? I cited that number earlier uh, when we started our conversation about how many child care workers have quit since the start of the pandemic. Why do you think that is? Well, I believe the child care workers have started to leave the field for the simple reason that since the pandemic, there's a lot more work involved and they're still making the same pay. And there's a lot, there's long hours because now you're doing your job, you're doing your regular job, but on top of it, the added measures to keep everyone safe. We're constantly having to sanitize and um, disinfect equipment. And also, I believe it's fear because we're dealing with a, a, a group of children, the groups that we deal with, there's no vaccine for. What about you? Forgive me for 
putting you on the spot here. Have you ever thought about quitting? Or have you thought about quitting over the last two years? No, I haven't. Have have I been concerned about COVID and COVID in my child care? Yes, and we've actually had to close down because we had a confirmed case. But I haven't thought about quitting because I feel like this is what I was called to do. Tell me about the outbreak. When was that and what was that like? So um, it was January 16th of last year. Um, I received a, a call from a parent who said that their child was diagnosed with COVID. It was the hardest phone call that I ever had to make to these parents to let them know that their child was, that, that they had come in contact with a child that had COVID. So it was a scary feeling because you just don't know what to expect. You don't know whether you're going to, you're going to get, you know, whether, whether your family's going to come down with it. You don't know what's going to happen to the other children. You know, you're just really concerned. We made it through, but you know, even with that, you know, there are people who, once that happens, they don't want to come back to your daycare. Even though it's out of your control, you've done, you know, you've done everything that you possibly can do. But, you know, they just don't want to come back because they're fearful. How long did you have to shut down? Two weeks. Wow, that's a lot. Yes. And uh, was everybody okay? Everyone was okay, yes. So I want to go back to the kind of the core question here, that that disconnect that we've talked about. On the one hand, it's expensive for parents. On the other hand, you're not making a lot. But what would make a difference? I believe that the subsidy rate should be raised because that way the parents can get the care that they need. And don't have to pay the cost expensive daycare. Some parents can afford it without a problem. You have a two family household and both parents are making can good money. They can afford it. But there is that single parent who is barely making it, but they don't make enough to qualify for, for child subsidy or the child care scholarship. So I believe those, those limits need to be raised a little more so more parents can receive assistance. That was Brenda Hawkins. She's a daycare provider in Upper Marlboro, Maryland. Miss Brenda, thank you so much for talking with us. Thank you. I want to be a cop. Nearly nine in 10 Washington State Patrol troopers are white men. That lack of diversity has caught the attention of state lawmakers. Meantime, the State Patrol has made a permanent change to its hiring process following an investigation last fall by Public Radio and the Seattle Times. Olympia correspondent Austin Jenkins has our update. For decades, candidates for the job of Washington State Patrol trooper had to meet with Daniel Clark, the department's longtime psychologist, as one of the last steps in the hiring process. But Clark's approach drew scrutiny and criticism. People inside and outside the department warned that Clark's process sometimes rejected otherwise qualified candidates. And more recently, the data showed that candidates of color were disproportionately passed over. Last September, Public Radio and the Seattle Times published an investigation on the patrol's lack of diversity. At the time, Clark told the news organizations he didn't believe there was bias in his approach. However, the state patrol soon made a change. The agency contracted an outside firm to take over the psychological evaluations on a temporary basis. Now that's been made permanent. It was time for a clean break, the patrol said in a statement. Democratic State Senator John Levick, a retired State Patrol sergeant, welcomed the news. I think it's certainly a step in the right direction. Another Democratic State Senator, Kevin Vandiwag, who's been critical of the patrol's hiring practices, said in a statement, it's reassuring to see the State Patrol abandon what has clearly been a failed practice. I just wish it had happened sooner. 
Meanwhile, state lawmakers are considering a proposal from Democratic State Representative Javier Valdez to require independent oversight of the state patrol's efforts to diversify. They need to do better, and that's what I'm proposing here. Valdez's proposal has the support of both state patrol brass and the troopers union. As for Dr. Clark, the psychologist, the patrol says he will remain on staff with a focus on employee wellness and counseling employees following critical incidents. I'm Austin Jenkins in Olympia. Eyes on me, eyes on me. Gentlemen, this is a game of awareness. It is a game of desire. That's why we have the three whistle drills. Let's go! When I blow this whistle three times, you seek out a teammate, any teammate. You make collision. You be physical. You be violent. Bring it in here. Let's go. Bring it in. The only way you're going to get this player's hands off you, your grandfather's throwing you squeeze. You choke him until shit runs down his leg. Do you understand me? We are delighted now to be joined by Brian Flores, who is the head coach of the Miami Dolphins for the last several years, who was released last month and has filed, as of yesterday, a lawsuit against the National Football League about its hiring practices. Also, here are his attorneys, Doug Wigdor and John Alefterakis. Yes. Thank you all for Thank coming. Yeah. Um, and, and Brian, let's just jump in. We have 20 minutes here, so we will be able to cover a lot of ground, and we are delighted. Um, you filed this lawsuit, which yeah. you are aware is obviously going to have enormous repercussions. What was the tipping point for you, through your experiences, that made you feel this was something you needed to do? Well, I mean, just... You know, I've been on, you know, several interviews over the years. Um, and, look, I mean, this is, we didn't have to file a lawsuit for, for the world to know that there's an, an issue from a hiring and firing um, um, practices so why did in the National Football League. Why did that, that's um, correct. A lot of people yeah. have pointed this out. So why did you feel you needed to do this? Because we need change. That was, that was, that was the number one reason. Um, and I know there's, there's a sacrifice, there's risk to that, but... Um, at the end of the day, um, we need change. We need change. Um, I, I know many very capable um, black coaches, um, some of my staff who I know um, if given an opportunity or when given an opportunity are going to go and do a great job on their interview. Um, and I would just hate for that uh, to, be a, to be a waste. Uh, and I think, you know, we need to change the hearts and minds of, of the people making those decisions. That's why we're, that's why, you know, we filed the lawsuit. Who are those people? Who specifically do you think needs the change? Uh, the owners uh, of the NFL. All of uh, whom, all of whom are obviously white. I mean, sometimes, I mean, I'm a lawyer, obviously, but I mean, sometimes you need litigation to create change. I mean, the Rooney rule didn't work. Um, we now have less black head coaches than when the Rooney rule started. And, you know, Brian thought long and hard about it. And litigation's not for everyone, but he stepped forward. Um, he's been referred to as the Rosa Parks of the NFL. And it's a testament to his character. And the litigation will create change, either because we're going to litigate the case to the end or the NFL is going to now do the right thing faced with litigation. Okay, let's go through some of the specifics here. We detailed earlier a text exchange you had with Bill Belichick, for yeah. whom you worked in New England yeah. at some point, in which it appears he was congratulating the wrong Brian, Brian Dayball, rather than Brian Flores, um, for getting the job in Buffalo. We, we've all read that, or excuse me, of leaving Buffalo and getting the job with the Giants. We've all read it. When you first realized mm -hmm. the mistake he had made, what was your first reaction? Uh, disbelief, humiliation, uh... You know, that was a tough pill to swallow, um, and and that you know, I have a great amount of respect for uh, you know 
Bill and Brian Dayball. Um, Brian's a great, great coach. I think he's going to do a, a, a great job as a head coach in this league. Um, I was, I was upset that I wasn't getting a true opportunity um, to show what I can do, to show what I can bring to a team, um, which I feel is a lot. Uh, that, I think that's 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 what I've shown in, uh, in my uh, time that, as head coach. Yes, that, John. That's that's what this is all about as well. There's just not equal opportunity. You know, this is not a knock on Coach Dable. This is a knock on the fact that the job was promised before Coach Flores even got an opportunity. And there's backroom dealings and information that Coach Belichick knows why. Why is that being discussed? Why do people have this information? Why is a decorated coach like Coach Flores, you know, humiliated into having to sit through an interview and dinner when a decision's already been made? It's worth pointing out that the Giants said in their statement that Brian Flores was a candidate for this job up to the 11th hour. Yeah, what not, is the response no, to notice that? Not, notice they don't say up to the time that he actually interviewed. So they don't even deny the allegation that we put forth, which is that the job had already been given um, to, to Brian Dable. And, and so, Coach, I'm sure there are many watching who will wonder, why did you go on the interview at all? If you felt it was a sham, as you, mm -hmm. as you suggest in the lawsuit, why did you go? Um, because I believe that, you know, innately people are good and are going to do the right thing. Um, and there's no way to allow them the opportunity to do the right thing or do... Uh, um, or at least make it a fair situation unless um, I went there and showed them that I am qualified. Right. I am uh, a leader of men, that I, I am um, passionate about coaching and building relationships, and um, I'm gifted to coach. I mean, that's, I, I am. I know that. And uh, um, I wanted to show them that. Um, and I think they saw that in the interview. And, Mike, you know, one of the things that often happens when you're dealing with racial issues is people find a soft hiding place, a soft place to say, oh, you know what? Coach Flores didn't get the job because he did an interview. Maybe he took himself out of contention. Mm. And, you know, Brian, Coach Flores, having to put his best foot forward and go, you know, hat in hand and just, you know, interview knowing deep down that this job was promised elsewhere Aside from being humiliated, that's something that black candidates often are forced to do so that an image isn't portrayed or, or a stigma that, hey, you just didn't, you didn't go. You didn't follow through. You didn't do your part. Understood. But I would say, I, would say, I think the, those text messages confirmed a lot of what um, a lot of us, you know, black minority coaches already feel, that a lot of we're going into these um, and they're shams. It confirmed that a lot of uh, there's a belief in, in, you know, look, that was just a mistake by Bill Check. We've all sent the wrong text message to somebody. Mm -hmm. um, but in this instance, it came to me and, and it was almost, you know, it was confirmation that that, that those back 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 uh, backroom dealings are happening. Let's be very clear on why something like that might be a sham and why they would need to do it. There is the Rooney rule in the NFL, which is something that I'm sure fans hear about quite often and may not know specifically. But I heard you describe it this morning in a previous interview as checking a box. So the existence of the Rooney rule mm -hmm. in which every team must interview at least two external minority candidates for an opening head coach or an open head coaching position. Doug, how does that rule impact a lawsuit? like? Well, this? I think the intentions of the Rooney rule were right. It was try, trying to get more of these owners to interview qualified black candidates. But when the team is interviewing a qualified black candidate and they've already made a decision, it, it shows prima facie evidence of intentional discrimination. It means that they've chosen a white candidate before they've even given the black candidate the opportunity. And it's not only for head coaching positions. What we really need to see 
are more black coaches doing offensive coordinator positions, defensive coordinator positions, special teams, quarterback. So that way it flows into the um, head coach positions. And we need, obviously, we need more black owners. And, and when you talk about the Rooney rule, it's, it's ultimately tied to an assumption that the owners and the upper management are people who are going to do the right thing and, and, and hire based on merit and not based on someone who they're comfortable with, someone who looks like them. And, you know, that's what this is about. We've listed in our complaint a list of demands that we want to see, tying, you know, hiring practices to performance, you know, hire a black coach, hire black executives, um, give fair, open up the, the process and provide objective evidence of what went into your decision-making process so these decisions aren't done with the uh, all-white owners in backroom dealings uh, with people who make them feel comfortable because they look like themselves. So you're saying a level of transparency Trans that you believe does not currently transparency. exist. Transparency. So, so that's one of the three specifics that you cite here of teams. That's the New York Giants. Let's go to the job that you did get in Miami. When you mm -hmm. were the head coach, you allege in the lawsuit that the owner, Stephen Ross, approached you about tanking games to get a better draft choice and said he would give you $100,000 for every game you lost. As you can imagine, that obviously has enormous repercussions. What can you tell me about the specifics of that offer? How specifically did he state that to you? You know, that was uh, a conversation about not doing as much as we needed to do to win football games. You know, take a flight, go on vacation. I'll give you $100,000 per loss. Like, those are just the you know, exact words. Um, and it's not something, look, I deal in truth. Um, and I, I say that to the players as well. I'm going to give you, you know, good news, bad news, but it's going to be the truth. It's going to be honest. Um, and in that instance, you know, look, I, I, I came from, look, this game's done a lot for me, mm -hmm. uh, a lot for me personally and my family. Um, you know, I've said this, you know, on other you know, shows, but my parents are immigrants. I'm first generation. I grew up with, you know, you know, in a tough neighborhood here in, in, in Brooklyn, Brownsville, where there's crime and poverty and, you know, violence. Um, and it was hard to, to make it out of there. And the game of football is the reason why, or a big reason why, along with a lot of the great people that mentors I've had in my life, um, why I was able to have the success that I've had. So to disrespect the game that way um, was, was, was something that, you know, trust was lost, and there were certainly some, some strained relationships, and ultimately I think that was you know, to my demise in, in Miami. And, and his story is not, not, not unique. Right. We, people are tweeting out coaches, high-level coaches, um, who have even contacted us are talking about being in, in a similar situation. So, um, you know, as part of what we're doing in creating this class action um, is, is not just Co Coach Flores has taken the lead and making the ultimate sacrifice, but there's going to be more. I want to make sure I'm clear here. You're saying coaches are reaching out about having been in similar situations with regard to hiring or with regard to being incentivized Both. to lose games? Both. 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 Yeah. Both. I want to come back to you quickly on that, though. I want to make sure I'm perfectly clear on what he was suggesting. I don't want to put words in your mouth. You were working too hard. You were, you were doing too much in the effort to win. He was trying to get you to do a little bit less and said, I'll give you $100,000 for every game exactly you lose. Exactly that. Um, that's just not in my DNA. That was never going to happen. Um, so what did you say to him? Uh, that's never going to happen. Um, I didn't come here. Look, I'm always going to try to win. That's just, that's, that's who I am. Um, and I owe that to the players in the locker room, but also the support staff that's, that's in the building um, who work extremely hard. If you've been in an NFL building, everyone in that building, his job is important. 
and they all everyone works hard to try to get on the same page and move in the same direction. Um, and I felt like we were building that type of culture. So to, um, I would never do that to, to them, you know. And if, and I, at the end of the day, I think it was the reason why uh, I'm, I'm no longer there. Okay, so that's the Dolphins piece of this. And then there's another piece involving the Denver Broncos yep. in, in which you allege that this is back when you were still coaching in New England yeah. and uh, interviewing for a head coaching job in Denver, one you subsequently did not get, in which um, you state that in an interview that you had with them, that John Elway and another Broncos official showed up an hour late, looked disheveled. It was obvious to you they had been drinking heavily the night before the interview. You say it became clear they only were interviewing you to fulfill the provisions of the Rooney Rule. What specifically can you remember about that interview? Uh, so I've had nine interviews with NFL clubs. There's been one interview where anyone was late. Um, and it wasn't me that was late. It was the interview, interviewers who were late. Um, that was with the Broncos. Um, I think there was a reason why they were late. Um, I think they were um, – they, they had uh, – They'd been out the night before. I think that's the reason why. Um, what, what made you believe that? I, I don't mean to interrupt you, but what made you, what gave you the impression, if you will, that they had been out drinking the night before? Well, I mean, when you sit at a table with, with, with five people who are interviewing you, um, uh, you know who's, uh, you can tell who's um, asking questions, who's into the interview, and who's uh, not necessarily in the right, right, right state, I would say, in, in, in that moment. Um, but even then, obviously, I put my best foot forward um, and showed uh, why, you know, I was a, a good candidate for, for, that, for that job. I'm always going to do that. Um, but, you know, I, I, I certainly did not feel um, like I was taken seriously and that I was just there as a, as a Rooney Rule. Vic Fangio ultimately was hired for that job and was subsequently fired a month ago. You are aware, of course, that the Broncos have released a statement emphatically denying the allegations, giving specifics about what time the interview began, what mm -hmm. time it ended, where it took place. They say they have notes. What is your reaction to that? Uh, uh, <laughs> I deal in truth. That's my reaction. Um, I deal in truth. Um, uh, Honesty, integrity is important to me, um, and and hopefully we we um, you know we, we, we there's a day where we, we we find out the truth on that one. Once again, to be clear, there's no question in yeah. your mind about your recollection of this, oh, regardless yeah. of what they say. Yeah. Okay, and and so now, as I pointed out repeatedly this morning, you are currently a candidate for two vacant head coaching positions mm -hmm. in the NFL in New Orleans and in Houston. Yep. Uh, how have you handled those situations with regard to filing this lawsuit? Well, before we, we, we filed the class action, um, I, I sent you know, messages to both teams, letting them know uh, that we would be filing, uh, but also that I still had very, you know, was very interested in coaching um, and leading you know, either one of those teams. Uh, look, coaching is it's what I love. It's a passion of mine. It's... Uh, you know, I'm called and gifted to do it. Um, and, you know, the reasons why is because I just, I, I, I love helping young people uh, reach their potential and become the best version of themselves on and off the field. Mm -hmm. um, so um, I would love to lead an NFL team. Um, but we need change, you know. The hiring practices in the International Football League, I mean, the numbers speak for themselves. I mean, there's one black head coach. Um, the league's filled with 70% of you know black players. I know there are capable coaches in this in this league to to to, to lead teams. I have some on my staff. Um, I know I know you know the majority of them. I would say, 
um, I know what kind of integrity and character and leadership that they have. Um, and they deserve an opportunity, um, a real opportunity, not, not a Rooney Rule opportunity where a box is checked. Um, and look, the, the National Football League, and I've been in this league 18 years, um, the National Football League is, is an example to the world. It really is. Um, they, they have an opportunity. People follow the lead of the National Football League. They just do. That's just that's how powerful this league is. Um, so there's an opportunity here. There really is. Um, I said it this morning. Is we're at a fork in the road here. Um, these things are either going to stay the way they've been, or we're going to move in a direction that will not only uh, help and affect um, change amongst the you know black minority coaches in the National Football League, but it, 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 it won't just be there. What is the, the opportunity? Effort? Specifically, uh, Coach, what is the opportunity? What isn't happening that should happen in your mind? What would you like to see come as a result of this suit that you have filed? I would like to see the hearts and minds, and I, and I say that, I want the hearts and minds of the people making those decisions to change in a way where there's more... Um, uh, I don't want to say what's the word I'm looking for. They're, 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 they want to or, or have a feeling to hire someone of color, um, that they can relate to that person, that they can uh, build a relationship with that person, because I think that's, that's a little bit of the issue. Um, the familiar, familiarity isn't there. And I think we need to open up a little bit more, and um, there's an opportunity for that. That's a quick legal question, sure. if I can, here, because this came up earlier this morning. Should he be hired for this job or one of these two jobs? How does that impact a lawsuit like this? Well, you know, our lawsuit, lawsuit talks about terms and conditions of employment, talks about terminations, compensation. There are other people also involved. Of course, he got turned down from one of the biggest markets in the NFL with mm -hmm. the Giants as well. So this lawsuit's not going away. But you know what? We, we share, all of us share this as an opportunity. The NFL has this wonderful opportunity to actually forget about the denials, the legal denials and things like that. They have an opportunity to actually to set the record straight, to make things right, to move forward and set an example for the rest of America. And you know what? We as much as that's what we hope for to help help, you know, create change. You know, their statement, which hopefully was just a knee jerk reaction. You know, they came out with a denial, and it's without merit. I mean, we filed a 60-page complaint rife with details of some serious, serious allegations. I mean, they've investigated deflated footballs longer than they, they even took to do a response here. I mean, when you put that in perspective, that we're talking about how black candidates are, and minority candidates are hired and fired and discriminated against, and they, within 30 minutes to an hour, put out a statement saying it is without merit. I mean, the, the fact that they were able to do that, it's, it's a real indication and an indictment of what's been going on and what we know through the numbers and just all of our experiences. I have 90 seconds left. Do you believe you will ever coach in the National Football League again? I'm hopeful that I will. I'm very hopeful. Um, but I understand the risks of, of, of uh, filing a lawsuit like this. Um, but I'm very, I'm, I am hopeful that I will. It's something I'm passionate about. Uh, but if change, if change comes, um, and if I never coach again and there's change, it, it'll be worth it. You know, we were in the green room uh, before, and I was overhearing a call, actually, um, with your, with your 
uh, son, and the son, who I think is nine years old, yeah, eight, yeah. eight years old, yeah. was saying, Daddy, are you going to get a job? I mean, it's an eight-year-old kid. Yep. And, he, you know, hat goes off to you for standing up and, and believing in this. I, I've, I've literally 30 seconds left. Is there anything else you'd like to say? Uh, look, I mean, uh, this, is, this isn't about me. This isn't about – this is bigger than football. Um, this, is, this is about um, equal opportunity um, for qualified, um, you know, black candidates, not just in football, but, you know, everywhere in all industries. Coach, I, I, I wish you luck. I thank you very much for making the time to come down thank here. You. Both of you, gentlemen, thank, thank you, you thank very you, much you. for thank coming you. here. We appreciate it. We appreciate thank your uh, willingness to share these thoughts. Hmm. Johnny L. Cochran, Jr. Many folks are familiar with him connected to Oriental James. Understandably so. However, uh, he represented Reginald Denny, Harriet A. Washington talked about uh, the lawsuit that he waged down in Alabama against environmental racism. Uh, he represented uh, Michael Jackson, Geronimo Pratt. We read in the book club la last year and close to the time of his death, he was working against the white NFL executives for this exactly not hiring black males Johnny L. Cochran Jr. There were some folks who had suspicion like hmm did he really die of natural causes? I don't know how the NFL would feel if Mr. Flores had Johnny L. Cochran on his team litigating this suit like oh my oh my and the type of attention that that would get now like the OJ fame and people have seen the FX series and all the rest of it and social media oh my Johnny L. Cochran Jr. Context of white supremacy. Gus T. Renegade in for another broadcast, hopefully to share constructive information on the system of white supremacy. Today's day, Friday, February 4th, 2022. So I have been told Black History Month will be neutralizing workplace racism, uh, not for spectators not for spectators uh, if you have thoughts to share you figured out some things that work well they don't come nag you about black history but hey watermelon and fried chicken celebration you down they don't come do that they don't come ask you can you explain critical race theory to us for black history they don't ask you to do all that if you need an extra day off you have child care problems no worries. Take the rest of the day to get things sorted out. Children are our future. You get sterling performance reviews every time. You get your raise. They don't jerk you around and just call you in to say that they're interviewing you for a promotion or a job just to say that they talk to a nigger candidate. They don't do that sort of thing. You have figured out, hey, I'm employed, I make, I'm well compensated, I have a great workspace and think I'm going to be hanging out here until I retire, you know, until I get tired of all this. Let us know how you did it. We would like to emulate a little bit of that workplace comfort. The number to dial is 
7300 the code 564-943-POUND. Press star 61 if you would like to participate. Number again, 720-716-7300, the code 564-943-POUND. Press star 61 if you would like to participate. Email untiljustice at gmail.com. Untiljustice at gmail.com. Drop an email if you have thoughts to share on either what's been shared or your own situation. Uh, if you figured out some things that work well strategies hey try this out this seems to work solves problems without creating new problems let us know if you are having some difficulties we will do our best to use logic to apply to your situation let us see before we get to callers and emails uh, the segment on child care I thought was really important I don't have children but I know we have a lot of listeners uh, who are attempted parents and child care has been a big issue uh, with the school situation being disrupted and a lot of child care services being disrupted uh, in terms of not having child care workers. We've had lots of folks who talked about that, not having educators and other folks, even the smaller like uh, kindergarten and younger children, not having folks who are doing those jobs. Some of that, those uh, vaccine mandates and what have you have caused disruptions and then people not wanting to do all of this because of the increased risk and all the rest of it. It's just been wow. Add that to the list of monumental challenges and difficulty and confusion of the last uh, two years. But that is super important and another position not well funded. Uh, so I'm sure that's been an issue that folks have been trying their best to navigate. We've had folks, you know, talking about that, too. Uh, they we heard the quick segment. They were talking about the. Washington state troopers being 90% white men. Now, I haven't explored every nook and crevice of Washington state. I've generally been hanging out in the western part of the state for the entire time that I've been here. That said, Washington state is not 90% white men. I mean, that is a disgrace. And then by the time that you factor in like all of the white women and then trans white people like my God, like the state. Are you telling me the Washington state troopers could be like 95 percent, 96 percent white? I know Washington state is like super white, but I mean, it is not. 95, 90%. I mean, come on. Come on. Dr. Kanban, the term he used, particularly he was talking about this context specifically for enforcement officers, white welfare. <laughs> Even back up for a second. We're not talking Washington. Oh, yes, it is. Mark Furman is from Spokane, Washington. Mark, what do I call him? Mark. G.E.D. Furman, two times for O.J. Simpson. It's all it's one degree of separation, everything with O.J. Simpson. Uh, but 
I don't see that changing. I don't see them, you know, coming to stuff applications in my mailbox so that Gus T can be a Washington state trooper. That's a pretty cushy job. I would add, by the way, benefits and all the rest of it. Pension. Probably a whole lot of other perks that they don't, you know, tell you about. Get to carry a firearm. Uh, let's see. The, uh, woo, the whole to do about uh, Brian Flores, uh, head coach, former head coach, down uh, with the Miami Dolphins. Wowzers. Uh, again, this is not sports talk radio. I do want to point out, oh, just since October, since autumn 2021, the amount of white supremacy racism that has been discussed just with the NFL. We could talk about the other sports leagues because it's been that too. They even had to fire a person down for the Portland Trailblazers, the general manager, I believe, white man, over the same type of allegation and the Phoenix Suns. But just talking about the NFL, they have the ongoing investigation of the Washington Redskins where they still have sealed the full report. We don't even know. They said it was so sensitive. We don't even know everything from the Washington and I'm not changing the name to the commanders. They are going to be Redskins forever, at least until the system of white supremacy concludes now. Uh, and if they were the Washington niggers, I would gleefully call them the Washington niggers until the system replaced with justice. That said, that was one as a part of that. John Gruden gets fired. They have the leaked emails allegedly that He's calling uh, the black uh, NFL Players Association president, DeMarcus Smith, I believe is his name, black male, calling him rubber lips and all the rest of it. I'm not a racist. I didn't mean that as a racist. I just meant he's a lying nigga. That's all. And the nudie picks, by the way. So he gets fired. Just with the NFL, then bang, they had been talking about this all year long. Man, we don't have any black head coaches. How is it just Mike Tomlinson? As the only Mike Tomlin, sorry, how's it just Mike Tomlin as the only head coach? How can that be? What's going on here? All year long. And then bang, all the black head coaches get fired except Mike Tomlin, including Brian Flores. And then bang, he makes his lawsuit, gives all the details of what happened. And I mean, it is so tacky on so many levels now the NFL has been running around with end racism on the helmets for like two years doing their tacky knees on the ground and all the rest of it for two years we care about some George Floyd man change you know they have their little tacky uh, PSAs that run where they'll have a black person saying man a white person who has the same skills as me will make like 10 50 times more money white head coaches will get an opportunity but I won't I can get all the brain damage I won't but I can't coach a team they go through the details right of this suit and what Mr. Flores is alleging before I even dig into the details this just the segment with Mr. Flores that you just heard and his white attorneys that that right there is why I have almost instituted no metaphors on two days. One of them is continue going to be the compensatory call in. So people get in a habit of being alert about metaphors and how that can a lot of times allow for deception and confusion. And so that we can make sure we're being more precise to work against confusion and deception. 
willful or not. Now, they start out in that report with Mr. Flores. They say, you know, people are calling you the Rosa Parks of the NFL. I have no idea what that means. I said before, every time when they incorporate the late, the grandsister Rosa Parks into a metaphor, oh, it is trash. Absolutely. They're trashing the legacy and how she used her life currency Rosa Parks could have been killed at any moment I don't think Brian Flores could have been killed coaching the Dolphins like he could have been 0-16 I don't think he would have been killed Rosa Parks could have been killed at any moment this happened like she was out doing the Montgomery bus boycott like 15 years before King's assassination I mean we can forget all of that she worked on the Scottsboro Boys case in the 1930s. That's 20 years before Emmett Till was even lynched. She could have been killed at any point and we wouldn't even have known her name. I don't quite think that's Brian Flores' situation. So that's one. Every time, I mean every time, there should be no comparison. Nobody is Rosa Parks except for Rosa Parks. Period. Don't even mention her name in comparison with somebody else, regardless of what they have done. They threatened her family. That's the, the reason she ended up in Michigan, not Alabama, was because they terrorized her entire family. They couldn't even get a job. She couldn't get a job. Her husband couldn't get a job. Her mom couldn't get a job. And then they terrorized the whole family. Now, if they did all that to Mr. Flores, he should have included that in the lawsuit. Grandsister Rosa Parks. Now, the metaphors continue though. They didn't just stop with Rosa Parks. So they continue. They say, uh, Bill Belichick. Imagine you are all set. You go and you iron, you get your clothes out and everything, got your shoes all polished, and you brought a new set of pumps and everything, got your new blouse, I'm ready to do it, got my earrings, I'm be sharp man got my new tie alright I went over my questions and everything bam got my responses right I'm gonna go to bed early you get a text with congratulations for a white man getting the job you are preparing to interview for the following day doesn't get any better than tacky now unjust networking isn't that what we talk about all the time they said backroom shenanigans that is white supremacy racism through and through and don't we talk about this all the time like white people racists they love to give the appearance that they are against racism we will shuck and jive for Black History Month. And when I say we, I'm talking about racists. I'm speaking from their perspective. We will hire Tim Wise, Jane Elliott, might find the confused victim, hire them to come in here and sing Kumbaya and white privilege and diversity, inclusion and equity. I always put that together as die like that's not an accident. Die. Anyway, uh, we will sham it up. We will get that kente cloth and come in here and take a knee for George Floyd. The NFL put end racism on all the goalposts. Plaster it across the end zone at the Super Bowl two weeks from now, right? Give the appearance. We got the Rooney Rule. We interviewed 
Brian Flores, we found about 50 Negros and brought them in here for interviews. Yes, we did. Took pictures and everything. Put it in the newsletter. Isn't that what they say? Call it the courthouse. To give the sham appearance. But we already did our unjust network and we got about 50 text messages. That's why I said, just give me everything from the Redskins report. But we got about 50 text messages. We already got this job. This nigga is not going to be hired. The tackiness didn't end that. And I mean, even imagine that. Bill Belichick doesn't even work for the other organization. So you're telling me that white people beyond the organization where I'm interviewing, they also know about this backroom deal and who's been hired for the job way before it's been announced while people are still while, while Negras are still interviewing the tackiness didn't stop there he said I had an interview with the Denver Broncos I've been to Denver pretty city too cold the great John Elway Hall of Famer Super Bowl champion white man he said I got the impression they had been out drinking and weren't really taking my candidacy seriously uh oh <laughs> is this is this another example of we're gonna sham it up and we're not even gonna do a good job with the sham of the interview yes yes what's your name Bobby Brian I'm sorry okay Got a few questions. I don't have any questions. I'm feeling it. How much tequila did we have? I don't even remember. What's your name again? Bobby? Brian. Yes, Brian. That's you'll make great coach. Are we interviewing for Yes, you'll make a great coach. Great. Uh I need something to eat. Get something on my stomach. Like <laughs> what? What? Why even bring him out for the interview? You could just go ahead and make the decision, right? We've gone a different direction, right? Why go through this whole sham? process tackiness didn't stop there nor did the metaphors they said the giants in giving their response we refute these allegations they're baseless without merit Mr. Flores the victim here he was a candidate to the 11th hour excuse me what does that mean that doesn't even refute the allegation that you'd already made a decision that a white man was going to get this job not the nigra even though we went ahead with this sham interview that doesn't refute it at all the 11th hour what my interview was at noon metaphors be specific that's why I said I almost had thought because of the work environment we need specifics I mean the details are huge for the work environment we start talking about my compensation I don't want a metaphor how many commas and de- where's the decimal place going to be at on that check how many commas are going to be on the check that's what we want to know not metaphors they continue Oof, did they continue they said a lot of times they didn't say white people they said a lot of times when you have an accusation of racism Folks want to find a soft hiding place. Oh my God. Are we talking about linens? I just said people got sleep problems. I don't even get enough rest. I don't get to hang out in bed, bath, and beyond. What? A soft hiding place? Do you mean that white people specifically will lie 
deceive you about the fact that they're racist? Is that what you mean? A soft hiding place? This is in the context of them saying, you know, why'd you go ahead with the interview if you knew they'd already hired you? He said, I'm just going to put my best effort forward, even though I've already got this text message. That way they can't come back and say that I didn't go through with it and I gave up on the process and I just quit and all the rest of it. They come back and they say, man, we've had the Rooney rule for all these years, two decades. It's just not it's just not, you know, uh, it's just not solving the problem. You know, it just hasn't been adequate. They may have had the correct intentions pause right there now that's one the same way when we have white people come on this program and we ask you know hey uh white people sincerely and greatly pained about no negro coaches in the nfl pained about white supremacy racism and when they interrupt and say oh yeah absolutely where's the evidence so you've had 20 years with the so-called rooney again Johnny Cochran has been dead for almost 20 years and he before his death was fighting against this same problem so in 20 years you still we have exactly in 2022 exactly one nigger head coach in the NFL and you're telling me with a straight face white man and that's Mr. Flores attorney that white NFL executives have good intentions towards solving this problem that is a flagrant lie if they wanted Negro coaches they could find them I mean it's not like Negros where can we find some black people with football expertise I don't, I don't know that you, you got this Negro that calls into the cow sometimes firefight. Maybe can you help us find some Negroes who know about football? Cause we just can't find them. We would love to. They say the same thing that Apple said, right? We just, we just can't find a qualified applicant. I mean, my goodness, we would I just hire, you know, heaps of Negroes. If we could just find some who knew something about football, we just don't know where they are. Really? Hmm. And, and it's not just the NFL. That's what we're talking about, but college football is the exact same way hmm they said uh, people that you're comfortable with right they had lots of excuses for all this unjust networking racism in the hiring practice you got to hire people that you're comfortable with right how are you not comfortable it's dozens I'm dozens at this point it's thousands of black people who have NFL experience, have won a Super Bowl, have been teammates with Tom Brady, golf, went to college, the Columbine, all of that. You got common experience. You can talk about all that brain damage. You can talk about all that. So what do you mean common experience? That's not what this is about. This is about Jerry Jones in the game. You can call him out by name. The white people who are in charge in the NFL, they're not interested in hiring black people. Make it plain. They continue. <clears throat> now they got the talking about the uh, Rooney rule, right? They gave the little lame explanation. This is supposed to make it mandatory that teams, if they have some sort of uh, coaching 
vacancy that they will at least give a now words again they will give a minority candidate uh, an interview they will uh, at least make sure that they have an opportunity to interview for the job they have a vacancy right now minority Brian Flores black male that's what we've been talking about that's what we got in the NFL uh, we don't have not that I have a problem with them but in the NFL we don't have tons of Jeremy Lin's right Asian males that's not what we're talking about we're not talking about Latino males and not talking about uh, any other brown people of color man NFL we're talking about black males they don't say that they say with the Rooney rule minority candidates now what they will do is turn around and you'll end up with Aaron Andrews and all of these white women that they will jump up and down because they got a head coaching position or an offensive line position or all the rest of it whoa 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 not that I'm opposed to any females getting a job although I can't really see myself rooting for Aaron Andrews or any white women to get a job but I mean whoa how is it that you can find all of these white women who are qualified who did not win a Super Bowl who did not play with Tom Brady but you can find all these white women who are qualified to come in and get jobs throughout the NFL but you can't find any black males who are qualified to be a head coach and keep a job really we gotta have the niggardly language of minority in there we can't even just make it plain black males Gotta be some black males with a headset on on the sideline coaching a team. Black males, not minorities. You're not gonna get by cheap on us and say, well, we got 15 women now. Nah, 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 nah. Black males specifically. I think Johnny Cochran might have been more specific, insistent about that sort of thing, but I could be wrong. Don't want to put words in the mouth of a dead male, dead person, period. They uh, didn't, or they did include, they did include Mr. Flores. He said, hey, I'm Panamanian. Grew up in Brownsville. Now, as I looked online, I did unfortunately see some victims where they said, hey, this is another example. I am a DOS. You got these non-white people. They're not even born here coming in and messing over black people and keeping us from getting a job. I thought Mr. Flores was fired. He doesn't have a job. He's not employed. I don't know, uh, Mr. Tomlin, uh, Mike Tomlin for the Pittsburgh Steelers. I don't know if his parents were born in Panama, the Dominican Republic, Jamaica, uh, wherever Brazil I have no idea but it's exactly one black male and a white man hired him the problem racist man racist woman racist child I thought that was another moment Mr. Phyllis worthy of great pity where we somehow got dislodged from this is white supremacy racism to that no count Brian Flores. That's why we got to have ADOS. We got these black people who are not even born here coming in and taking all our spots. Victims guaranteed qualified. The other component, he said he was from Brownsville. We just mentioned them. That was the rape case. Remember that? We just talked about that with Anthony Broadwater, the other group of youngsters, the end of 2016. Remember that? Brownsville rape case. Remember? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Criminal activity. He was talking about all that. Anywho, uh, he said towards the end, he said, that he would like the hearts and minds of the people making those decisions to change, meaning coaching, hiring decisions. Again, we can't say white people. We can't say white people. That's one, two. That's another metaphor. 
they have been using that tacky and lame metaphor for more than 60 years at this point like all the way back civil rights movement and all the best of it and you can't legislate people's hearts no you don't want people's hearts to change if it has to be legislated that it hey and you might even have to be specific about it hey a certain number of black head coach or a certain number of head coaches have to be black period we did it the other way and made vague language so you all could put all your sham interviews and all the rest of it and John Elway and company can go out to Wingspot and party and all the rest of it probably snort and do some drugs and all that uh, and then come in here off painkillers and everything else and not even be paying attention because it doesn't matter because we've already done our nepotism and hired a white man and everybody knows it except the Negro unless we mess up and send a text by accident Make it plain. It's not about changing hearts. It's just about a acknowledging white people are dedicated. If anything, that is a amazing illustration right there. As long as the NFL has been around and as long as you have black players that have been playing Jim Brown and all the rest of it, you got like literally a good three quarters worth of a century of black males sitting around, watch this stupid game, played this stupid game, all the above. And we just can't get any close. No, we're dedicated to white supremacy, racism. Dr. Wells and she's white people and their ball games. They understand the, the brains on the sideline that's in charge being a white man. They understand the importance of that. Let's see. Uh, da, 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 da. Did have an important email, but I'll double check. Uh, let's see. The number is 720-716-7300. The code 564-943-POUND. The email untiljustice at gmail.com. This is not sports talk radio. Like, do not be confused. The only reason for the emphasis on this is they do the exact same thing in all areas of people activity. We've heard about all this. The sham interviews where they pretend to interview some black people in all kinds of fields. We've heard about all of that, not hiring black people. And they come up with all kinds of lame reasons, justifications for why they don't have black employees, especially in executive management type positions. That's not just the NFL. That's all areas of people activity, all fields and all over the world known universe. So yeah, this is not sports talk radio, normal neutralizing workplace radio. And, and did you hear the pitifulness at the end? Mr. Flores, he said his son, presumably a black male. I don't know if it counts or not him being born in the States. He might still count as he's not a dos. Get out of here. Uh, but his son said, dad, are you going to get a job? I was waiting for him. I said, man, please. I'm a privileged black male. Worried about getting no job. I start 15 companies tomorrow. You know what kind of power the privileged black male gets? Hmm. 720-716-7300. The code 564-943-POUND. Press star 61 if you would like to participate. Let us see. Uh, first few folks. Dialed in with a hand up. If you have commentary to share, line should be open. Yeah. 
Bay Area mom? Yes, ma'am. Thank you. Thanks for taking so long. Um, thanks for taking my call. Um, greetings to everyone on the line and participants. Let's see. Okay, so um, the child care um, section that you played, um, I could relate to that. I don't have uh, small children, but boy, oh, boy, it was real tricky when I had children and sometimes working. We only made it mostly. I only made enough. I didn't make enough to pay pay for child care, and then sometimes it depends on maybe their dad will watch. Probably will be available to watch my daughter more than my son by the time I had my son. <laughs> he was available to babysit, but um, it's hard. It's hard paying out of pocket, and even if you get like programs, because here in California. We would have, like, something called bananas, so that would help ladies uh, maybe uh, receiving assistance or um, transitioning from that into a job or I don't know whom else they would provide that for, but uh, before C's, things like that, and they would pay a provider, usually maybe a licensed provider, um, but if you had someone that you knew to watch your baby, it would be me. $2, $3 an hour. It was very, very low. And um, people, especially if it's just a person with one or two kids, they don't really want to walk because there's no money in it. And like the lady was saying, the child care provider, um, if you're not a provider and you don't have um, benefits or a husband or somebody to uh, add you on their benefits, it, it is tricky and sometimes it's not worth it to do that kind of job, especially during the pandemic because they kind of changed the rules, uh, limited the amount of children uh, depending on, and uh, then those scares because with a cold or a flu, you could just send the child home. But now with this pandemic, you have to shut down, so it's awful. Um, what else did I hear? The guy that was... Uh, or the guys that were um, at work and they, they were calling them all kind of um, racial names and uh, making just racial comments uh, at work. I've never experienced that. I don't know what I would do if I, I did um, or any of that kind of talk. I don't know what I would do. I, I'll have to think about that, but I, I wouldn't want to go through that. Um, that Rosa Park of the uh, NFL threw me off, too. I was driving home, and I heard, oh, I wish I could rewind that. What what did I miss about that? So, uh, yeah, that was the – they just throw all these um, people in there to make it seem like there's a good will, good intent, Caucasian, you know, on the way or whomever. So, um, let's see. I'll get to my workplace racism. <sighs> so – Lovely day, lovely day, lovely day. My um, dilemma is, and I'm not complaining, I'm just sharing um, my week. And I haven't had this much white female contact in years, so I'll probably have a lot of shares throughout the time. I have a, I, I talk about, well, I'll do two. I talk about a Caucasian teacher that I would work on the AM and every other uh, evening as well. Um, 
Yeah. I decided I pulled off of the uh, every other weekend uh, evening. I only do mornings twice a week with her. So I noticed ever since that happened, and that was Friday when I think she got the email, or at least over the weekend, letting her know that I would no longer be coming in the afternoon. I would only come twice a week in the morning. So when I got there on Tuesday, she wasn't there. Um, yeah, she wasn't there on Tuesday because allegedly it was her B-day, but I think she didn't come too because the substance, the, the oh, well, not the substitute, the paraeducator, sounds like a teacher's aide, so I'll just call her the teacher's aide. The teacher's aide didn't come on Monday, so Tuesday, so I'm not going to come. So, so, of course, Wednesdays I'm not there, so on Thursday I'm there. So I come in, so my supervisor's in the office. Uh, these are her uh, caseloads, if you're, if, you, if it's okay to call them that. I don't, I'll think of another term to define the children um, that she's uh, over. She's analyzing as a, behavior, a behavioralist. So um, she's at my uh, school, and um, I'm rushing out because I'll uh, was uh, trying to get to the class. I was talking to her, but if you come to the class, I'm just going to get to class. So I come to the class. So she's um, trying to do visuals for this lady. Mind you, I don't know what happened, you know, on the days I'm not there. So she's doing visual cue cards, telling her uh, what to do. So she's totally ignoring these cards. So this lady standing there with the cue cards. So she comes to the front of the class with the cue cards. So it's like verbal, um, uh, nonverbal prompt, verbal prompt. She's totally tuning them out. She's so tuning them out, trying to listen to what we're all talking because it's myself, the black paraeducator, and the you know my Caucasian supervisor, which probably she uh, has a connection with the paraeducator as well because sometimes we're all in Zoom meetings together. So um, now, mind you, me and the black lady sometimes we talk uh, about little things because we have to deal with these children. So. Um, she was just. She sent me an email showing me how complicated it is working for this lady, and she had to send an email to higher up to let them know she wasn't coming back to class unless she had some kind of support from them securing her job because this lady is micromanaging her and just bullying and bossing her around and then making it um, uncomfortable for her to work and awful for the children to learn letting the kids eat off the ground, eating out the garbage, just just real trifling. And um, so we had already talked about that maybe Tuesday. So come, she sent me the email maybe Tuesday, Wednesday. So I read it. I was like, oh, wow, okay, that's ironic because you're, the same thing is happening right now. This was probably written in October. So um, now, so I walk in, the children, <laughs> So, you know, I just try to hide and just keep them doing whatever they're doing, but they weren't doing anything. They were just roaming around. So um, the teacher looks at me and looks. <laughs> so I was like, oh, okay, no problem. So, uh, and then, you know, I speak to the uh, the, the paraeducator. And um, <laughs> so I'm in there, and then my, then my supervisor comes in thereafter, and then she's just telling me what she's going to do. She's like, I'm going to give her verbal prompt. I'm, you know, I'm going to give her cue cards and all this stuff. So I'm seeing extra people there, extra adults. I look like some kind of security 
in the class, and I just see extra bodies, adult bodies in there. So I'm like, huh. <laughs> but I didn't trip. So she continues to um, do whatever. Okay, class, we're going to do this. Okay. And just all this. So she's writing something that she's trying to have them do. And she wants them to write in this space, finger space, finger space, finger space, all this stuff. And that's confusing. If you give them sticks, popsicle sticks, it's better. So I say, hey, where's the popsicle? Where are the popsicle sticks versus their finger space? Because that tends to get confusing. And to keep in mind, we're a special needs class. So um, I'll give you an example of confusing. So finger space, they got five fingers out. So they're taking one of the five fingers with a, uh, the hand out and putting it in the space as a finger. But they're writing over the other four fingers trying to write these words. That that so if you give them a popsicle stick, it's easier. So I ask, where's the popsicle stick? I don't know. What do you mean you don't know? You gave them an option if they can use a finger or a popsicle stick. What do you mean you don't know where the popsicle sticks are if that's the option? They have them there too. They're probably in their desk. I don't know. So no problem, right? So now, mind you, the uh, the the, the um, behavior um analyst is in there with these cards, keeping them up. She's just almost walking them to her eyeglasses, and she just said, I'm going to have to create this bigger because this doesn't make any sense. She's like, I can't see anything. It's hard for me to see. My eyes are back. <laughs> so she's writing whatever. So now she's doing all this talking. So she spells between B-E-T-T-W-E-E-N. So these children are supposed to copy this off a. Of, uh, Oh, I forgot what they're calling those. I'll figure it out in a minute. These little, the big computer boards uh, starts with a P. I can't, I can't think right now. So anyway, she's writing on that, and I guess she couldn't erase it. So, and she didn't even notice it because she's so busy trying to figure out what is going on in the back with us. So, one of the children told her, "You spelled between wrong." <laughs> what? No, I don't. What? And she, oh. The little girl's not there, uh, the one that I talk about. I'm sleeping. She wasn't there. So one of my other children were there. She's like eight. And um, it's another one that was there, but he was in and out. So since my supervisor's there, she's going to just text me. So she's like, she's calling this little boy. So and so, come sit at the table. We're going to have reading. So no organization. You just got a circle of people over here at your table, maybe five. You got all these other children that probably need to be at your table that's just scattered around. They're supposedly supposed to do quiet reading. <sighs> Crazy. So um, <laughs> this one little boy come up to me, can I, can, you, can I read to you? Can, can we read together? And I said, well, it sounds like she the teacher wants you over there with her. <laughs> I don't want to go. I was like, well, look, we could read later. Um, just go over there with her until, you know, it's time to. But, you know, you have some free time and I can read to you. So he, no. <laughs> so I was like, okay, whatever. So she going to ask me. She keeps calling his name like 75,000 times. Very loud, that high-pitched voice. Keep calling, telling him to come over there, coming over there. Completely wasting time. Awful. 
I'm not going to start the reading until you come over here. So just keep saying it. He's just tuning her out. So then she says, ask me, can I bring him to her? Keep in mind, we're in the classroom. He's eight. I think he's eight or nine. One or the other. She wanted to bring him to her. So I I said, hey, look, can you go over here and sit over there, sit down? No. I said, all right, look, if I go over there and sit with you, you're going to sit. So he said, yeah. So I went over there and sat. So I sat for a couple of minutes because he's sitting, so I have to get up and go because there's other children in the classroom. So he got up, too, thereafter. He got up, too. So (laughs) she's like, keep calling his name, keep calling his name, keep calling him to come, keep calling him to come very loud. So then she said, um, she said, uh, ask me, can I get him? Can I go get him? Can I get him? Mind you, we're in the same classroom. I need him over here talking to me. And I said, what do you want for, What do you want him to do? And she said, I want him to come over here and sit down and read his work. I was like, look, dude, <laughs> would you please go over there and sit down? Because I don't feel like this right now. So she's, uh, he's like, no, I was like, look, if I sit over there with you, would you, you, can you sit? So he said, yeah. So I sat over there with him and he read his little words and I, you know, eventually ended up getting up. So then at Pete recess or something, she wants, you know, we're not talking. So she's out there, she's on the ground, it's her duty, which she doesn't like. So she's so focused, mind you, it's lots of kids out there recess. So she's supposed to be watching all the kids. So she's focused on this one little boy. Well, two, and they're both under me. So she's going to tell him to call me. Can you go and watch, just watch such and such because he hits and he does this and he pulls and he fights and he does this. and he's doing... I said, where is he? He's under the play structure. So I look, I thought, he's not there. I don't see him. Well, I don't know where he is. He went around all the place. He's somewhere out here. I don't know. So I look, he's minding, doing his own thing. And so he, she's, oh, well, uh, um, calling his name, hollering and screaming. I was like, well, he's not bothering anybody. You just asked me to look out for him, so we both going to look. Well, he has a tendency to do things and just all this foolishness. Mind you, he's he's black. So now I'm looking at him, but I'm not going to stand side by side with him. We're not, I, I, I'm not his buddy, so I don't have to stand side by side. So I guess that's what she wanted me to do, following him around like security, and I'm not going to do that. He's at recess. So... Now she's watch. She can't even watch. Do the rest of her stuff because she's so busy watching me watching this. So you got it. You go. You watch him. I'm not doing nothing. So come to find out later on, the reason why the little girl wasn't there that the sleepy that likes to use my phone is because she was looking for me. On the little girl was looking for me. Maybe whenever I'm not there. So she's like, I want her talking about me. She wants me. No, she's not listening. She wants me. So then the teacher is terrorizing her with that voice and however she talks to these kids. So this little girl took off and just slapped her. So I don't know what happened. So stage two. Um, oh, and anyway, she wanted, it was, we had these little things, you know, for the kids that she could use. So like here, um, here's these things. She's going to tell my supervisor, have her print them out and laminate them. And so the supervisor told me that. I said, what? what? What do you mean? Where is the laminate? What? She said, I don't know why she thinks you're her secretary, but you're not. she's going to do that. I don't know who she thinks you are. 
You're not her secretary. And then I got you left it alone. So I'll print out some for me, but I'm not doing anything for her. And um, one more. Little boy, brown boy, um, well, black. Uh, I see him as well in the mornings, a different school. White lady, all of a sudden she comes in to see this, this one white-looking girl. We'll just call her white. Um, she lets uh, – I guess she does all the little – White girls work. She just sits there, types it in. What do you want to say? What is it? And just types all this stuff in because a lot of their work is done on the computer. So with the black boy, she goes back and forth. So she kind of, the black boy is kind of like a pet for her because she already knows at the rate they're going, he'll never thrive. He'll always just get passed on. But he's great at basketball, so she says. So she she's there more than me, but she's there for the little girl. And I don't mind do what you do, but do stuff to develop, not to hinder. So she just keeps play with her, play with her, and she just hovers over him at P.E. She's just right on him. Every time he breathes, she's just right on him. Do this. So now it's time. I get there today, and it's time for he has an assignment due. Mind you, he's totally distracted at everything. The only thing he really would like to do is play. He's totally distracted and totally distracting. Um. It's awful, but, you know, I'm there to help. So he's supposed to be taking notes at the computer. Uh, this lady comes in late, comes behind him. I'm sitting right there. She's going to get me a chair to sit by him because she tells me he likes for you to sit next to him. And mind you, it's COVID, so I don't necessarily have to hover over you. I don't do that. When it's time for me to do that, I'll do that. So she's, oh. So um, I, uh, I'm sitting down with the little boy. She comes behind me to whisper to him all this stuff. And what she was saying is, look, when you do your presentation, you do this like whatever we did yesterday because the little girl I'm working with, she's nervous, so she's not going to do it. She's nervous and she don't want to do it, so you do it. Now, mind you, he can't do it like it's He's not capable right now to just do presentations on serious stuff. So, and she knows that. So she put all this on him, and so he's totally confused now. So with the notes, he never took any notes because now he's confused at what she just whispered all this mess in his ear for him to do, remember, like yesterday. And all this stuff just threw him off. So he got nothing done, and he's sitting frustrated. What should I say? What, what, I was like, did you take your notes? Ah, ah. I said, look, this is for you. You were supposed, your job was to take notes on this, that, and the other, and you didn't. So now you don't know, and because you were fidgeting and fiddling around, you missed the whole video that you were supposed to be watching, that everybody was watching, and you weren't. Oh, I'm ready to go to PE. I want my snacks. So he's just like that. So I I was like, you know, so next thing you know, it's time for PE. So they go to PE. I had to stop the letter. I said, hey, look, when you're working with him, don't do his work. Make sure he knows what he's doing. Ask him questions to see. The same way you're sitting over there doing all this little girl's work, playing in her hair, doing all this stuff for this little girl. Of course, little girls, you're going to do stuff, and they'll be able to excel past a failing black male. And she knows that. She knows exactly what she's doing and how she's setting him up. She, he's a buddy system for the little girl, and just another flunky that she can just look at. Oh, he's very good at basketball. Look, lady, I don't care about basketball. I'm talking about academics. And you're setting him up for failure because he'll mess around and get 
passed on, passed on, passed on, and not benefit from anything and not learn anything. Okay, so next time you work with him, you make sure he knows what he's doing. Have him take some notes. Do something. And those 20-minute brain breaks, there's no such thing as a 20-minute brain break. Five minutes. That's it. And back to work. He's going to be behind. Well, I just walked in. I didn't know what was going on. You knew what was going on to do her work. So when it comes to his, you don't know what's going on, and he doesn't know what's going on. So I talked with the teacher, asked her, can we come up with a system to help him thrive? The teacher is black. And she said, yes. He sent me an email. We're going to put together something. I'll read the email when I feel like it. And um, the Caucasian lady is very agitated with me. And I'll mute my line. Thanks for taking my thoughts. Woo. Blackmail privilege. Blackmail privilege. She said the the Caucasian lady is very agitated with me. Why? I wonder why that is. Why would she be? Was she angry about trying to get a plan, an academic plan for a black boy to thrive? Why would a a white woman be agitated about that? Hmm. I'll think. Uh, much obliged our our Bay Area mom uh, I think uh, our Bay Area scholar uh, her son might be with us as well uh, before we keep it in the family uh, jinkies blackmail privilege what can I say blackmail privilege right Brian Flores and this young man blackmail privilege uh, she said uh the retaliation right that was the small one where the white teacher didn't come in the following day she said the teacher aide didn't come in on Monday saying I'll fix her wagon I won't come in on Tuesday that sort of pettiness is so common in the workplace like taking it personal like I wasn't even taking a day off to like spite you it's COVID it's all kinds of things that type of thing is so so common uh, the disorganized white, so many times white women educators like if anything everybody who's you know thinking hey might have some offspring or at least one at some point that should be a well planned event by all involved parties if not this is what you are sending your child to not thought out what's the academic program going to look like are we homeschooling are there any independent African schools or schools for non-white children in the area are we going to be able to homeschool for the next five years because we set up some sort of community school are there other parents around all of that is covered way before conception we come up with some sort of slipshod arrangement this is what you'll have and the thing that I used to say all the time hey if you mess it up, you find out, you know, I am defective as an educator. I cannot satisfactorily inform, educate my child. Racist educators will always welcome them back. They will always have a seat for your child. Now, she 
says uh, this disorganized white woman she's working with a special needs student they love to pile up the black people in the special needs classes uh, so they're going to do some writing and we'll do the finger spacing she says hey you know let's set them up for success you know thrive where are the popsicles like <laughs> disorganized what why don't you don't have a lesson but these are special needs like you don't have everything already plotted out bam this is a special place for the popsicle sticks we put them back in the same spot every time hey if you don't want to deal with that you could delegate that right that's an easy one this person your behavior is great and all that you're responsible you will be in charge of the popsicle sticks we will go to the dollar store and get a barrel of like a gazillion of them and then spend another dollar and get a little plastic container and whammo the popsicle sticks are right there and you know little Zoe you know she can be in charge of the popsicle sticks right easy no we can't even do that let's see as opposed to the specialty needs students getting really high quality staffing so that we can catch them up as best that we can so that they can thrive academically you can't even spell between now this could be you know an eyeglass thing and all the rest maybe you need a new prescription or whatever that's you know I get it but I mean wow this does not sound like I'm coming in here to do my best by these students every time out which I'm not surprised with because nobody does that for black students in a system of white supremacy generally speaking even a lot of the non-white educators we talked about that before too uh, present company not included uh, let's see I kept thinking too when you play around with sex like woo, when you play around with sex she says the white woman is has some sort of grievance about having to go out for recess like that's a part of school like everybody well the children at least love recess like what is the the beef about coming out to supervise the students I mean I guess if it's a lot of children but I mean why did you want to be a teacher <laughs> like being around children uh, so then she goes out and then what to do uh, during recess you gotta keep an eye these nigger boys you know they got tendencies you know you gotta you gotta watch them you know they're aggressive you know rape tendencies you gotta watch him <laughs> like are you serious like we just gonna hover over black boy like again you don't have a plan this is you know what you will be sending your children off to got tendencies you know we gotta pick up on these negro tendencies the Zoe's mom was talking out Aya Gruber's book feminists led to mass incarceration when I contacted her she should be a guest on Monday when I contacted her I said hey this is the root of it right here white educators black boys that right there is the he got tendencies does he have a probation officer can we get a resource officer maybe come to the recess because I don't it looks like he's see, he's aggressive see you gotta watch you gotta watch him you gotta watch him when you play around don't plan with sex your offspring will love you for this experience uh, let's see I thought I heard she said that the little uh, young lady was frustrated and then all of that I've seen that as well in terms of the vindictiveness it's not just vindictive about oh you know that, that little assistant she's gonna take Monday off I'll show her I'll take Tuesday off it'll be vindictive that oh the children like you 
They want to hang out with you. They won't even listen. Like, here, here, here. Did you hear me call you? Come over here right now. Get over here. What are you doing hanging out with that nigger? Niggers hanging here and being constructive. She wants to see them thrive and is talking nice to them and is not yelling at them and being all authoritarian with them and all the rest of it. And she wants to be organized. Oh, my gosh. She can probably spell between correctly. Ugh. You want to talk about vindictive? Oh, we have talked about this. Other folks have testified. And I mean, they will take it out on everybody. You try and do it when gossip and get you fired. Take it out on the black students. Everybody's getting rid of. Everybody's getting an F. You know, you flunked it. You flunked. You flunked. Widespread white academic system. Uh, the last thing I guess I'll get in before uh, the uh, I get to your son. Uh the and I mean this could be a part of the vindictiveness too, but the uh, you know print these out too. And I think she said the other staff person is speaking like you know wait a minute she's not your slave <laughs> like uh, that is not what this arrangement is like that's the way whites really in all endeavors that's how they think of us that's what they think of us. You're a slave you just do whatever I say, sweep the floor go here pick up the child she was talking about that like do you mean like physically pick him up and bring him like what <laughs> what are we even talking about that's the way that they think of niggers like yeah you just do what i say you don't analyze yeah print out 15 copies nigger pick that child up and pick up that nigger boy and bring him over here sitting over there with you he doesn't want to come over here you play around with sex and eh, dr Wilson. Uh, so we'll keep it in the family. Uh, and I didn't even get to the email. I was going to read it, but the freaking NFL racism thing uh, was significant, I thought. But uh, one of our emails was from Bay Area mom, her son, our Bay Area scholar. Uh, I did not read your email, sir, but I have it here. Uh, I always defer to a live voice. So you can just tell us uh, about the email or I could read it. Let us know. But so good to hear from you. I hope you are safe and thriving. Uh, did you have commentary, sir? Uh, yes. Have you heard? Yes, sir. All right. Um, well, greetings to the rest of the callers. I figure I can uh, just explain when I wrote the email. That might be better. Um, so on the 16th of January, I put in my two weeks notice for this job I've been working at as uh, sandwich maker in the kitchen. Um, and the, the whole day was kind of overwhelming because there were only three workers in total of, you know, usually uh, four or five people are in on a regular day. We were really busy all day in the morning, in the evening. I think we had a lunch rush too. So we didn't have much time to clean or uh, prep any more things for the lines, like that type of stuff, because that would normally take two more people on top of the three people working the cash register and then the two parts of the line. So, but um, what I realized is that by the end, co-worker I was working with, he was talking to me, he was considering uh, bringing his sweet notes in too, because he, because I had to tell him I was doing it because he had to report it to the other bosses, which is fine. So we're both sitting there. At the end of the day, he's telling me, oh, yeah, I'm going to put in my two weeks notice. I 
boxes of feet and I was like, he was also tired of his shit. And I was like, yeah, cool. That's nice. Um, so both of us are leaving. Um, the next week I come in at 12, I'm supposed to be there until five or a short shift because that's what I requested. Um, when I get there, I'm on top of it. I'm making everything, prepping the lines and everything, all I have to do. So it's not busy for about maybe an hour. And I think it's around like two, two thirty. So he, the owner comes in and he tells us, Oh yeah. So we haven't had any business and it's probably going to stay like this. So we're going to make one of you guys go home. And I was like, okay. Uh, I wasn't sure he was going to pick. I would have figured he would have picked somebody who was there already from 10 o'clock that would leave at the same time as me. Or even at the same time that he was requesting to be taken off. But anyways, so he comes to me and it's like, okay, you're going to have to go home at 3. And I was like, okay, cool. I wasn't really upset because I could just go home early. I didn't care that much. But, you know, it was just, I don't know, just... So I was just thinking about it, it's just kind of, eh, you know, but, um, yeah, what, um, what ended up doing was I just, uh, packed up and went home at three because I didn't want to, there's no reason to be there. There's no reason to even talk about anything. It was my second to last week. I don't really care. So what I, so the next week, um, after that, so this is the, um, is the 28th or something like that. What I was doing was I was preparing for the blizzard. We got a blizzard going into Saturday, um, the 29th, I think. Um, they, um, this blizzard was going to come in. It was going to be really big, uh, about uh, 24 to 28 inches of snow. So I was preparing, uh, going to grocery stores that were already full and everything out of stock. I was waiting on, I was waiting on a text to see if the store was going to be open because I found out that my school was closing because of this winter storm and a couple other places around me, like some of my other classmates where they work, their places were closing. So it's around nighttime. I come in from home. Um, I'm looking at my phone. I'm waiting for a text because I'm kind of considered whether or not I'm just going to call in and say, I'm not traveling in the snow. Because that would be just be a hassle for me to get there and then just go for five hours, then come right back. Just didn't feel right. Eventually, I got a text, I think at around 12.30 a.m. from one of the managers saying that uh, they're going to be closed tomorrow. And I was kind of relieved because um, it, felt, it felt like a weight just lifted off my chest. When I read that I don't have to come in on my last day because they're going to be closed, this overall was kind of like I'm ending this job. I have no more doubts about it. I can leave everything behind. Like I didn't care anything about this place. I can leave and enjoy myself. So it was it was a nice it was a nice little retreat. But um, yeah, now I have a lot more free time. I'm not worried about this place. There's no frantic owner I have to depend on. I to run the store, the managers, any of that. It's just over. So, yeah, I just kind of wanted to share my experience about my two weeks notice, how that went, because this is my first time actually doing one. 
and being more professional about it. Like, for example, I have other friends who work there. They just quit on the spot, just didn't come back. But I, I didn't want to set that example just because I know if I were to work a more professional job, you can't just do that. So I put in my two weeks and said, okay, this is what I'm going to do. I gave them a plan of where when I can be here and told them my last day and went at that. And, yeah, it worked out good for me. I'm fine. Um, I would pick up my check, but only I didn't work because of the blizzard, so now I don't have, I have, to have to go there anymore. So, yeah, I just kind of wanted to give my experience on that. But, and, um, yeah, thank you so much. I'm in my line. Got disconnected. Am I being hurt? Yeah, you heard. Awesome, awesome. Much obliged. Much obliged for sharing. Uh, say Bay Area Scholar, but I forgot they did have the blizzard uh, up in the New England area. Hope you are staying safe, uh, warm, and, you know, all the rest of it. Um, wow. Like, uh, I guess one, I would say, like, if you are in a work environment where you're feeling like this is not worth it, uh, this is a waste of time, uh, this, you know, all of that. Like, I'm not being treated correctly in this work environment. Like, definitely, it is time to different options, better options, all of the above uh, in terms of how you invest your time and energy. Um, yeah, I mean, just and even from what he had told us previously, if folks uh, recall correctly, um, he said that he was that, like he had given his two weeks notice like way way back. Uh, he was going to leave. And okay, hey, you know, you're a good worker, you're responsible, and all the rest. You know, you come back, we'll give you a raise. He comes back later on, like, hey, you know, I'll pick up some hours, make some dough, whatever, whatever. Uh, you remember, you know, you said you gave a raise. What rate? He's said anything already. I don't know. Did you see right? <laughs> like all this nonsense. Uh, and so he's like, what? <laughs> Fine. No race. <laughs> Just go on like, you know, it didn't even happen. Lesson learned. Move forward. And then all this nonsense, you know, they uh, were not busy. Not that I'm, you know, surprised or anything. And about the labor shortage, because that's been like everywhere. Everyone has pretty much talked about that. Uh, there being a widespread labor shortage. And what are we going to do? And nobody has enough employees. Uh, so. I'm not surprised. And then, you know, even more people leaving because that makes it more work to do. I think even your mom had just said that it makes it more to do talking about educators and all that and child uh, care providers. Uh, but it just makes it more work to do and all grueling and all the rest of it. And who wants to go through that for no pay? And then you can't get a raise on top of no pay. Forget that. So lots of folks uh, are experiencing those types of shortages. Uh, which just makes it even worse for the people who are there working, having to pick up extra shifts and all the rest of it, and then all that goofiness with the weather. Uh, and so now you got shutdowns and, you know, what to do about all that. Uh, hey, I'm with you. Like, <laughs> forget it. It is not even worth it. Like, who wants to deal with that where you can't even have proper scheduling and all the rest? And then he was talking about us too about the tackiness where they would call him on his day off, like, hey, 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 you want to come in and, and work? Like, you already have my class schedule. You can look at the schedule and see that I have class this afternoon. No, I can't work. <laughs> like, why, why even have the schedule if you're going to look and just call and harass me on my day off to come and work for shifts? Like, tackiness through and through from beginning to end. 
so yeah, good. I say good riddance uh, to bad rubbish, sir. And uh, yeah, you can look forward to uh, quality employment opportunities down the road and being a little bit more uh, informed, shall we say, about uh, how racist, how common, and how tacky the racism is in the workplace. Uh, and bravo for not having to track in the snow uh, to some blame work environment. Uh, let's see. Uh, other folks who dialed in with a hand up, uh, I guess I'll give out the number again, 720-716-7300, the code 564-943-POUND. Press star 61 if you would like to participate. Can I be heard? Please, Mom. Yes, ma'am. Hi. Greetings, everyone. Um, I was I I wanted to comment on a couple of things. I thought it was really interesting what Bay Area Mom was talking about. I've been working at um, schools for the past couple of months, and I have the same issue where I think the students are very used to the teachers just giving them the answers and not actually teaching them how to think. And so when I work with a lot of the students, they're expecting me to just, they're just expecting to copy my work. And they get really, really frustrated when I don't allow them to, or they try to find ways to copy each other's work. Um, So I thought that was interesting. I think it's something that is common amongst teachers, and it's not even necessarily because the teachers are, um, I guess, being complacent as much as it is is, there's a lot of constraints on um, just like how, like a lot of constraints based on metrics, which is something that I was um, interested in talking about because I've been actually um, substitute teaching at um, my offspring school. And so... I'm often in the um, teacher's lounge because, unfortunately, I, I can't spend lunch in my classroom. And so my, and I'm, I have um, my lunch at the same time as my um, offspring's teacher, which is interesting because she spends a majority of, and she knows that I'm her mother or, yeah, she knows who I am in relation to my offspring. And she still spends the whole time just really obnoxiously talking about all of the students, talking about kind of like their private information in terms of like their family issues and things like that, and talking about going to conferences, but only wanting to go to conferences to like get drunk and go to parties and stuff, which I thought was like really weird to be saying knowing that I'm there, but I don't engage or try to like really talk to them because it's, I mean, all of the teachers essentially are white women. Um, And so I noticed too that something that I was talking to my child about is that, you know, we spend hours on her homework because um, her classroom has about 33 kids, and I think it's almost increased to, like, 35. 
because of COVID, obviously some of the kids are not in there right now. Um, so she doesn't really get a lot of learning done in her classroom. So I have to do a lot of teaching outside of that. And we spend hours on her homework. And only to find out that the teacher does not check the homework. <laughs> she just looks at if you did it and gives credit. And they base all of the um, students' grades on this program, which is called IXL. It's just like an online learning program, but it's like games, essentially. Like, I mean, you are learning, but it's multiple choice questions. So the, the children are not practicing writing. They're, you know, it's kind of like fill in the blank. So even though multiple choice is a good way to test you, it's not as efficient as if you have to like write an essay and actually have to work on your grammar, et cetera. The teacher says that she doesn't give the kids spelling tests because they can just use spell check, which I found to be really deplorable because I think a big issue with a lot of the children is that they do not know how to spell and they do not know common rules in terms of um, grammar. And you have to remember that English is a hard language to learn in terms of other, compared to other languages, that, like at least compared to like Spanish, uh, other European languages because so many different letters have different sounds. Um, so I thought that that was really interesting. But essentially, yeah, the, all of the children are just metrics. And when I hear in the teacher's lounge, these teachers talk about their kids. They talk about them like they're just numbers um, based off of these IXL scores and then one test, one test that they take. And it's unfortunate, and I mean, it's, it's elementary school, but I just wonder, does this persist into um, high school and middle school? Because, you know, for instance, like my offspring, she doesn't spend a lot of time on that IXL program because it is just almost like games. And it's not learning, and, you know, I buy workbooks for her to solve and finish, and she finishes her homework, but she's not getting tested on that. So it says that her, it says that, you know, she works at, like, a third-grade level or something, but she doesn't, right? She works way above that, but because everything is based off of these, like, metrics based off of these games, the kids are not really being tested. And I remember in school... You know, you, you got your grade, especially in elementary school, you got your grades based off of your homework, maybe a couple quizzes and tests and also projects, but it's, there's nothing like that. It's literally just you type in two numbers. You type in your IXL score and you type in your NWEA, which is like a, a exam that they get, um, I think, two times a semester. So that's something that I thought was just, really unfortunate. Um, I think of, uh, any other updates on, um, oh, I also had a really interesting experience because I've been working with a specific um, special needs class. Um, and just something that popped into my mind was that one of the aides was talking about, there's only one um, black male child in the class. Um, and the class is severe to moderate, so it's usually kids who are diagnosed with autism. And she made this remark that 
she because the, the child moved and the day before the child moved though that age she's a white woman she got in a physical altercation with the child um because he was having you know an episode and she was kind of instigating it instead of giving him space and then she said that oh you know she's kind of happy that he left because she she felt like the other girls were or he was making the other girls in the class uncomfortable because he would do like and and I I have been in the class and I never saw him do anything like that I mean I haven't been in the class as much as she has but it just reminded me of a lot of the things that we've been um reading like um the book club that was reading lucky the idea that this black male child is just like this rapist and that he should she's glad that he's gone because you know the other girls were somewhat like terrified of him which I thought was really just an interesting thing to hear and then the last thing I wanted to say is um in that um class that I'm doing I'm a special needs um substitute teacher it's like a pod so there's three different classes in one pod and none of the aides in the district get keys so the only people who have keys to the classroom are the teachers and the only exceptions, the only two aides that have keys are the white females. All of the other non-white female aides do not have keys to the classroom. So when the teacher is gone and if anything happens, if there's some sort of drill or anything, they constantly have to call the office to let them in, which I think is just deplorable that you work in that classroom every day and you're not even able to get in. And when I asked the white female aide about it, she just said, oh, yeah, we just got lucky one day and we got keys. And I said, but why didn't you advocate for the other aides to get keys as well? And she said, oh, it's just a department policy. So I just thought that that was very interesting. And I think that's all I have for now. I'll mute my line. Thank you. Much obliged, uh, Z's mom. Uh, we'll look forward to Aya Gruber on Monday, see if she has something uh, constructive to offer. Uh, what we have been talking about with this subject matter, black male privilege, uh, once again, uh, Z, also an educator, Z's mom, an educator in uh, California. Uh, we heard a very similar report, a uh, young Negro boy, She's glad he's gone. Something about that, like, I don't know. Like, unless, like, it would have to be a child who is just a disciplinary problem every day. Like, you know, we can't get anything done because this person is just acting up and, you know, we have to go and send the, the children out of the room and call extra staff and they're violent and all the rest of it. It would have to be that sort of thing where they're just every day uh, a problem uh, and a disruption to other people's, other students' ability to learn. Like, if it's not that sort of situation, like, I'm glad he's gone. He was making the girls uncomfortable. Really? What are that? Raping tendencies. Even the language. <laughs> so, like, oh, my God. Like, again, hey. 
this is what you have to discuss way before conception. You have some sort of slipshod program together. You all have the child, and then, you know, three weeks later decide, you know, hey, got coon tendencies. I don't like you that much. Uh-oh. This is what your child can look forward to for a good 18 years. They decide they want to go to college, add on some more. As I said, I'm sure they will just love you for that experience. Have, have educators talk about, oh, I'm so glad he's gone. Oh, made the other children uncomfortable. Raping tendencies. Mm. The spell, now, I don't know about the spelling. I'm not a quality speller. I'll concede that. I thought that they had said that it's 2022, right? Uh, you got spell check on everything, every phone, every computer, you know, any sort of gadgetry you can think of, uh, that spelling is kind of obsolete. I thought I'd been hearing that for a little while. I'm not saying that it's no value. I totally, you know, hey, <laughs> being able to spell correctly, I see a value. Uh, in that, connected to being accurate with language and, and words and all the rest of it. But I thought, uh, as someone who's not an educator, I thought that was kind of uh, kind of de-emphasizing spelling because it's kind of rote memorization, and you do kind of have, you know, spell check on everything. Is that is that not the case? The thing is, is the way spell check works is you have to have some semblance of the word, but the children nowadays don't even know even the basics of the word, you know? So if you type in, like, the word, let's say, terrible, you would have to have some understanding of, you know, the word in, like, you know, a vague understanding of how to spell it, but the children nowadays wouldn't even have that for spell check to work, if that makes sense. That does make sense, uh, unfortunately. Um, yeah, I, <laughs> I, have, I have worked with offspring. Uh, I know black people, non-white people that are younger, and uh, I guess we're about a good generation of folks who've basically grown up texting since the time they were about five uh, or four. Uh, and so, yeah, I, I have seen the results of that uh, where people, as you were saying, like sometimes you got to be at least in the ballpark uh, with your spelling. And yeah, sometimes even, I know sometimes uh, it not being like at least in the ballpark with spelling can greatly minimize people's vocabulary, uh, both when they write and when they speak, because they'll get frustrated or just not want to have to keep looking up stuff and not knowing how to spell it and all the rest of it. So they'll just stick to, you know, reduced vocabulary, which can limit your thinking, action, imagination, all kinds of things. Uh, the number again, much obliged, Z's mom. Number again, 720-716-7300. The code 564 Nine four three pound. Press star six one if you would like to participate. Uh, let's see. Other folks who dialed in, if you have commentary to share, proceed. 
Greetings, everyone. Retired firefighter in Florida. Yes, sir. Yes, uh, a little bit on the uh, uh, Mr. Flores interview, and uh, well, related to it anyway. Uh, uh, what I have been thinking about is not so much about the football aspect of it. Uh, I don't see any usefulness of support for any professional sport entertainment, period, when it comes to non-white people. Now, I'm not against uh, someone uh, working on a job as a coach, but ultimately, uh, those businesses are private businesses owned by wealthy, powerful white males. I think it's one white female that owns one team. I could be wrong, but I think it is that she inherited because her husband died. Uh, but uh, they don't have, they don't, I mean, they don't really have uh, uh, any um, benefit to non-white people who are rich classified as black. Uh, Mr. Flores' first coaching job was on the NFL level. Uh, normally when that takes place with a black male, it's because that he, he is in contact, was in contact personally with a white person that gave him that job and in turn uh one of the top uh one of the top characteristics of being on a coaching staff especially on that level is being committed to whoever's in, whoever's in charge and I'm pretty sure he was <laughs> committed to people who were in charge on that job in itself. And uh, because of his uh, commitment, whether it was something correct or incorrect that was going on, that is one of the things that propelled him to get promoted to a head coach. Uh, I don't think anything is going to come out of that situation. If anything, it's close to, uh, it's close to Kurt Flood's situation. If anything, on what he's doing is close to uh, to another non-white person, I would say it would be Kurt Flood more so than uh, the icon that uh, does not deserve to be put in the same light as a uh, football coach. <laughs> uh, and he probably would never be able to coach again, uh, as he stated. Uh but uh yeah uh that's that's my thoughts uh it's it's like there's no benefit into it you know of of uh coaching on a level there's some benefits on the high school level there's some uh, the, uh i i managed to finance my college uh uh career by being on scholarship 
there are some benefits. Well, while you're in college, uh, you're utilizing that uh, that scholarship to to obtain a college degree, and hopefully during that period of time, you have planned you have planned on uh, your life after college, not for professional sports, but to be employed outside of uh, athletics or football. Because eventually you're going to have to, even if you do, or even if you are good enough to uh, play uh, uh, professional basketball or football, which which those are the two sports where black males are most popular at. Uh, you're still going to have to uh, have an exit plan, and still because you're going to be very young, you're not going to laugh very long. Uh, very rare if a player goes beyond five years in professional sports, uh, and most start at the age of 21, 22. You know, so that's not very less. Still be in their twenties, that sort of thing. So uh, uh, it's not that big of an interest uh, when it comes to, uh, anything that's concerning on the many problems that non-white black people have. Uh, I would say 30, 40 years ago is when, uh, powerful white people decided that black males were a commodity to assist their business. And they started hiring more black males during that time in the 60s and the 70s, and it really uh, escalated in the 80s and the 90s. They don't need black coaches to run to run the team on the daily level and on Sundays. They don't need black males for that, for one thing. Uh, but they they do understand that black males would entertain the most white, the mostly white audiences that see those games. If you watch any of those games, the, the, the one that's going to come uh, a couple of weeks from now, the majority of people you will see in those stands are white people that would pay $300 to watch the Super Bowl live. Well, probably more than three hundred dollars. I would say somewhere around thousand dollars for a ticket to get to one of those game to that game. Uh, so that's my take on that, and uh, that's all I have to say. Thank you. Much obliged, <clears throat> retired firefighter in Florida. Um, might be a little bit more pricey than a thousand bucks to see it live. I think that might get you like parking lot. You can sit out and have a hot dog and <laughs> on the radio, especially in LA. Yeah, like, I don't know. I, I know it's a lot of money. <laughs> I know it's a heck of a lot of money. You can get some French fries maybe like for a thousand dollars. Like my goodness, like uh, it is, uh, that it's going to be super pricey. But what I did want to share, we were talking about the owners, the folks who who own these teams. Uh, like, man, so when they talk about minority, and I said, man, you got to watch that one because they will slip in and say, oh, we got, 
white women here and Hillary Clinton there and, oh, yes, minorities. We're all for the minorities. We're not talking about the old boys club at all. So the list of NFL owners, I'm going to skip over the males. It's 32 teams, and some of the teams have multiple owners and what have you, and sometimes they have a principal owner. So the listed principal owner, I'm just going in for the female names. I didn't say one, the female names. So we got the Buffalo Bills, Kim Pagula, who looks like she could be a non-white, non-black female who, of course, has, it would seem, a white husband, cowbell. Uh, the Chicago Bears, Virginia Marion Hallis McCaskey, uh, she would be one who inherited uh, the inherited. Team, uh, uh, owner, uh, been in the family for over 100 years. Uh, let's see. Next, we got uh, the Cleveland Browns, uh, not Jim Brown, uh, but Susan D. Haslam, uh, listed as the co-principal owner, uh, along with Jimmy Haslam, a white man. Uh, let's see. Next, we get to the Detroit Lions, Sheila Firestone, Ford, mm. Hamp. Wow, that is old plantation white money uh, with the Detroit Lions. Absolutely. Sheila Ford Hamp. Next, uh, the Houston Texans, Janice Suber McNair, took over from her husband, Bob McNair, so again, inherited uh, white money. Uh, let's see. Next. <clears throat> Notice how many I got already. We're about halfway through. We're still rolling. So continuing. Uh, the Las Vegas Raiders. Carol Davis. Again, this is inherited uh, along right. with Mark Davis. Uh, Carol right. Davis, the mother. Mark Davis, the son. Uh, continuing. Uh, the New Orleans Saints. Gail Benson. Uh, by herself, principal owner. Uh, continuing. Uh, the San Francisco 49ers, almost in the Super Bowl. Marie Denise DeBartello York. Also looks like old plantation money. Uh, she is co principal owner with Jed York. Uh, and then finally, the Tennessee Titans, Amy Adams Strunk. Long list. So it is not by any stretch of the imagination the old boys club, not by a long shot. Once you start talking about actual owners of these franchise franchises, there are quite a few white women who are owners and would have quite a bit of say-so about who's going to be hired. So, and, hey, I'm a minority, right? That's your affirmative action champion right there, right? I know what it's like to be mistreated. The man has held me down too, right? So they should be able to empathize with that bedraggled black male. And I guess that hasn't happened. And, and Gus, everything that Mr. Flores uh, talked about, quote-unquote complained about or, or allocated the NFL about, He's going to have to prove it. He's going to he's going to have he's going to have problems proving the allegations. Uh, whether whether those white lawyers are in there or not, those white powerful people got white lawyers too. Uh, and 
if the idea comes up, it's going to make me vomit if it does. I'm sure it is going to come up. If the idea comes up, well, black people need to invest money into purchasing or attempting to purchase some of these franchises. That's it. I'm, I'm just going to throw the television out the, out the, the, the back door uh, for, for that type of insanity uh, to waste uh, income uh, for such a thing of any professional sport in itself. I don't have any problem with Michael Jordan if that's what he uh, uh, is a, a, a franchise owner, so to speak. But I'm just saying it's a waste of time and energy, in my opinion, with the money that uh, can be utilized for something far more constructive. As I mentioned before, on the high school level and somewhat on the college level, there is a purpose with sports. Uh, that's where, when it comes to football, that's where a lot of our young black males are at. Uh, the retired firefighter didn't, didn't encourage nobody to go out for football, but that's where they're at, and that's where I found myself to be, wanted, when I wanted to be in that environment to teach them something beyond football and the ones that I I've been I've done it for at least 30 30 some odd years and uh, that's the that's the uh, the the report that I get when I are walking around and and I can't remember every last one of them but when a young fellow about maybe in his early 50s (laughs) comes up to me and mentions about mentions about uh, it calls me coach. Then I know it must be somebody that I you know dealt with twenty twenty five thirty years ago. You know and uh, you know so but outside of that, you know it doesn't have it doesn't have any that much of a constructive purpose when it comes to uh, solving the many problems that we have collectively as victims of racism and white supremacy. Indeed. Indeed. Uh, Keeping in mind, these are gangsters, white gangsters, uh, the owners in the NFL, very much, uh, I think, important gifts in mind. They will do lots to protect their brand uh, throughout all of these charges of racism, white supremacy, especially at football season, like, man, oh, man, like uh, big-time gangsters. Uh, Anywho, uh, much obliged uh, retired firefighter in Florida, um, being constructive with the young people as well. Uh, Other folks who dialed in with a hand up, if you have commentary to share, if we missed you totally, uh, line should be open. Proceed. Greetings, guys. Greetings, callers and listeners. I I also work in our area, too. Um, and um, what was said by uh, Bay Area's mom and um, Z's mom is um, stuff I'm very uh, I'm witnessing. Uh, the numbers game is very apparent. Um, it's, uh, I think if you have an understanding of how of race and white supremacy, it's very evident that um, as long as the students are there for the attendance and um, the racist man and racist woman can get their check for that attendance, they're happy in regards to 
providing that student with constructive information, that is not a priority at all. And it, uh, it's just super um, tragic that I don't think a lot of um, victim parents have a clue what's happening in these um, race camps known as schools and indoctrination centers. It's real bad. I, I'm um, going into various classrooms, subbing various classrooms, and um, sometimes I, I have to just test students, so I get to um, observe multiple classrooms and see what's going on. And it's very common to walk into a classroom where there's a white teacher. Um, for example, um, yesterday I walked into a classroom, white man, teaching a classroom full of um, non-white students, mostly um, so-called Mexican or brown people, a couple of um black students sprinkled in there, and um, very few uh, white students. But it's like 9 a.m. I, I see students, you know, starting their morning off with cookies on the desk, you know, fresh in the morning with, with cookies on the desk. And, and that's that racism and plain sight. But if you don't understand white supremacy, you don't know that. It's racism happening right now. Get it, feeding kids absolute poison. And the first thing in the morning, it should not be happening. And, um, the day before yesterday, I walked into um, this white teacher's classroom, and uh, she just—it's just so hilarious how um just so and um your face they can be with racism because they they probably don't think um a non-white person is gonna pick up on it or even um process what what's happening, but um I was looking for a student, and um I asked the white teacher, okay, is this student there? And she's like, oh no, um she she hasn't been here um for a while. But I'm gonna I'm gonna do a house check, you know, because just because she's been gone for a long time, it doesn't mean she she went to Mexico. And of, of course, the student I was looking for was a so-called Mexican. So I, 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 my only response was, um, that is correct. But in my in my mind, I'm just trying to hold in the laugh because of how like how how, how racist that that statement was. And and I'm sure um, these white women are just are just um, also her class was the same thing. Um, sugary treats on the desk, um, rewarding the students for. Um, with poison for being um, obedient, and um, it's just having a a, a blast. And um, I, I also saw see what um was mentioned from um the previous callers of them seeing the um, AIDS as um as 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 slaves, and um when they were the, the, the so-called troubled student, yeah, they definitely see the AIDS as like yeah, come come hurry up and get this you know monstrosity that I've created that I can't control. Come get them out of here, please. I definitely um, see that mentality, but I, I also have um, had the benefit and um, the will and ability to um, discuss some some code where I can. Uh, I subbed a um, so-called uh, special ed class. Um, the students seemed to be very um, normal to me, uh, as, as 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 normal as they can be in the same system where they are also insane. Um, but I was. I read this um, Dr. Seuss book called Yerdo the Turtle, and it's basically about this um, this turtle king who goes around conquering people, capturing turtles, and taking the turtles' land and resources, and even taking the turtles as well. And I told them this is exactly um, the kind of system we're living in, where people who classify themselves as white and also practice racism, they have gone um, across the, the whole planet and, and taking everything, and now they own everything. And I, I ask the students, like, is it correct that we exist on a planet where we have to pay for something we need to to buy, like like waters? And I, I show it here, and it's like, is that correct? And the students, they're like, no, that's not correct. 
And so they, that tells me that they get it. They get that uh, what's happening on planet Earth is, is incorrect. And it started with, like, very few students paying attention. And, and at the end, it was a ton of students, like, listening to me um, discuss race and white supremacy by decoding this Dr. Seuss book. And I had um, another class where um, the same thing happened. Um, uh, There's uh, reading time. And I noticed this um, Harriet Tubman book. So I, 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 was, I was talking about Harriet Tubman. You can't talk about Harriet Tubman being a uh, victim of racism during the slavery phase of white supremacy. You can't talk about that without talking about white supremacy. And I'm not, I'm not attempting to lie to the students. So I was just telling it like it is. And the same thing, at first, a very few students, uh, mostly non-white, very few black students, mostly non-white uh, brown people. Um, but they, they were interested, and then um, uh, it went from, like, four students paying attention to the whole class actually listening and asking questions. And I was just telling them stuff that we should have known when we were younger victims, younger slaves in this uh, just diabolical system that we're in. But I was telling them, like, pay attention to words. Like, is it correct that whenever, like, something bad happens, we have to say, oh, that's dark, or, like, when someone's feeling incorrect, we say that person is in a dark mood, or when bad things happen, we call it a dark day. Like, and I asked them, does that make sense? Is that correct? And then they're like, someone's like, someone says, oh, I get it now. I get it. And then I say, like, it, why is everything, like, white good? Like, when we say, like, light of our day, or you're so, you're so bright, or you're my sunshine, like, why do we say that? Um, why do we always make things that are white good? And then they, it's clicking. They're understanding that, all right, this, 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 this creature in front of me, you know, the black male, the stuff he's saying, it has some accuracy to it. And then they ask questions. And I provide them with resources. Like I, I really write down um, Mr. H. Channel Fox, tell them, you know, subscribe to the channel. I write down music full of junior names. That's the first thing I thing. And for the students who, like, have the will and ability to pursue this information, uh, they shall. And I just think they, they should have, like, at least the access, okay? Uh, they won't be like me, you know, in their late 20s or late 30s, and no one has, they don't even know the word, our names, maybe for little junior, that's kind of thing. At least someone has, like, at least uttered those sounds to them, and maybe something in their brain computer will click. But um, I think that's all my, my reporting for now, and I'll meet my line. Much obliged. Uh, caller uh, also uh, in California. Lots of educators uh, hanging out with us today. Uh, the food situation, that's something that I've, like, observed firsthand. Um, we've had a number of folks even, I think, uh, Bay Area Mom used to talk about that quite a bit before she switched jobs, working with black children where they have just really horrible diets and eat terrible food and how that's probably contributing to them not having the most efficient, uh, high-quality academic experience, eating all kinds of crazy food, sugars and chemicals and all the rest in it that is not healthy for their brain computer or development in general. And even folks talking about them being all hyper, like, oh, I want my food, I want my food, I don't want to read, I want to Like, see, that's eh, starting the day off with nonsense, sugary cereals and all the rest of it. You can't just do fruits. 
water. It's got to be juices and OJ with all the sugar and additives and colors and all the rest of it and what sort of impact that that has on the brain computer. Uh, let's see. Yeah, it's, it's uh, widespread, uh, and that's just a part of that whole system of having children where they're not thriving. Nothing about that system is prepared uh, for them to thrive and do well. But kudos for trying your best to share constructive info, uh, hooking them up information they can check out online and all the rest. I'm not surprised, surprised to hear that these folks have not heard these folks' names. That's very, uh, very common. Even a lot of the folks who have heard their name. Uh, have not really, you know, digested the information and applied it to their behavior. So uh, racist man, racist woman, racist child, they have done a very effective job. Um, but that's it. Hey, you know, if you can get people, hopefully sooner than later, uh, if you can get them the younger the better, as he was saying, like, hey, a lot of times they can use logic and just come to logical conclusions. It doesn't have to be about brainwashing anybody and we're trying to make a little cult in the classroom, like just following logic, simple questions, like it's pretty self-evident, massive problem on the planet, that problem being the system of white supremacy racism. Uh, much obliged for sharing. Uh, I was mentioning, um, like, the system of racism and white supremacy while there was um, white students in the well, – I had one white student in each of the classrooms that I had um, discussing race and white supremacy. And each time I discussed it, um, one of the white one white students said, "Can we talk about something? So can we like can we read something else?" Because because uh, he wanted to remove um, um, the book I was using to discuss racism with. He he wanted us to read something else. And and uh, the other time I, I was discussing racism, the student white student was just very you can tell he's very very uh, uncomfortable. But before. Um, he expresses discomfort, and I asked the class, you know, should we be working to, um, um, I don't know, produce a, a better um, world to improve the, the world and make it a better place? He was one of the students that raised their hand. So, you know, really, 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 really interesting. And, yeah, I also must say that uh, I find it very um, primitive and archaic that it's 2022, and, um, yeah, students are still being trained to, to, to drink milk early in the morning, drink milk, drink your juices, you know, you know get your, your, um, pa- your pastries with um, cheese inside of them, the filling, whatever nonsense they're, they're calling it. It's um, really, really diabolical. I don't know what racist men and racist women are preparing um, the younger students for, but it's nothing constructive, that's for sure. For sure, for sure. I was like them, um, you know, starting off today with all that Pop-Tarts. He didn't mention Pop-Tarts specifically, but Pop-Tarts and Frosted Flakes and what can you think of? I was just, uh, my, I was thinking in Seattle, right, uh, there's a McDonald's, uh, like I was trying to think, like if somebody was like, hey, let's go to McDonald's right now, like could I get them there, like hassle-free? Like, there's a McDonald's. It's not really close to where we are right now, but I do know one. But, I mean, it's not like they're everywhere in Seattle. They have McDonald's. They have chunk food and tubby people and all that. I was tubby while I was here. But, I mean, they don't have, like, McDonald's everywhere in Seattle. Like, back uh, where I grew up, 
Virginia, like, they had a McDonald's almost directly across the street from, like, my, the middle school that I attended, the elementary school that I attended, the high school that I attended. Like, and I mean, like, literally, like, the high school, like, right across the street. Like, you could literally, uh, if 10, let's say it's 10 minutes, you could sprint, go to the McDonald's, and then run back to class. And many, people, many of us, I'm not kidding, put that up, many of us, that's exactly what we did. Or start the day, you go right to the McDonald's and then walk right across the street. Or, or lunch, 30 minutes, psh, easy. You could walk across the street and get all kinds of nonsense and then walk back and still have lots of time to chill and enjoy all of your nonsense from McDonald's. Or wait until after school when you can parlay and hang out and have all kinds of calories. Or you could do all three. Junk food all day long and guarantee that your brain computer will not work well and then also set yourself up for a nice round of diabetes and everything else that they're talking about with all the so-called comorbidities. In addition to just not feeling, when you have all that poison in your body, you're not going to perform at your best academically. You've been hearing it. The people can't even funk. Cookies. That's what she said. Cookies. Cookies. Pop-tarts. Soda. I watched that. I used to work in the school, so I saw that. Can't pay attention. Got all that sugar in my system. Or I'm crashing. I got all that sugar early. I had those Pop-Tarts. And boom, man, I'm crying. I can't even, you know, I'm ready to nod off. I'm sleepy. Frosted Flakes will get you. Uh, other folks, commentary. We missed you totally. Uh, while we're uh, waiting, I also see a lot of um, Dr. Francis voting on the the child um, parent um, the child parent syndrome, where we have children raising children. I I, I see that um, taking place um, every single day. I, I I'm pretty sure um, you probably did as well, and other folks who are um, in the, in the school system, and it's um. Super, super bad because uh, I had a student come come to class. He had like probably four um, venom energy drinks that he brought with him, and he cracked open one and was sipping it and passing it around to the other um, students. He then brought out a bunch of um, packs of um, candy, um, like sour patches and stuff, and then um, I, I took a I took the pack. Just to do a little demonstration, and I told the class, you know, this is how um, smart and deceptive the most powerful people um, are on the planet who, who want us to be super confused and, and want to mistreat us. They're so smart that they produce this thing right here, this candy that is so sweet and looks um, looks pretty and so colorful, and we go and buy it. But this thing right here causes a lot of problems and eventually kills us. And um, it, it must have um, got to him a little bit me sharing that information about him consuming poison and me calling what he was consuming um, poison because uh, he eventually allowed me to pour out the, the venom energy drink despite him having probably three more in his backpack. Um, but still, really, really, really uh, tragic what's taking place 2022. Indeed. Indeed. Um yeah, that's that's so pitiful. So many folks just because and 
lack of sleep that's such a big impact for folks starting at such a young age they're coming to class and they've not had enough rest I know that used to be me as well so bad food and then not adequate rest in both of those you know it's no way you're going to perform uh, at your best but uh, and those energies like oh, the worst the worst you don't have adequate rest and you eat all that garbage and then you know load up on energy oh, it's just terrible absolutely terrible and then all of that unnaturalness I'm sure there's a better word but all those chemicals that's moving in the correct direction all those chemicals uh, into your young still developing body still developing brain oh, terrible absolutely I'm, I was there I'm not passing judgment I was there I was doing all the same you know terrible things that are just not uh, for optimal development and exactly according to racist design but just try to plant seeds as you can and it's just bombarded that whole environment everything about that environment and most of the work environments that's why I say you know you just have to be in the habit of not eating man talk about the school Jesus Lord every time they would they would serve the students bad food all day long and they would have poor health and bad behavior and then the staff they would serve us bad food all day long and we would be overweight in bad health and bad behavior too really but like all of it that's why i said you have to just be in a habit if you you know wherever you work at or whatever unless we do i guess we have had some folks who said you know they got gourmet like catered food so they could get organic vittles and fresh wild organic blueberries and you know fresh organic tofu uh, marinade with vegetables sauteed and all the rest made on the spot like if you got that sort of hookup psh, take advantage and get an extra handful of edamame for me uh, but for the regular folks where it's pizza and Papa John's and Pizza Hut and Frosted Flakes and potato chips and Subway I'm good that's always the answer every time I'm good garbage food I'm good and we shouldn't even be serving this for the children Anywho, uh, other folks, comments to share. Let's see. We nab everybody. We didn't miss anybody. Yeah, we heard. Our caller in Florida. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Thank you very much, sir. Greetings to Gus, the host, the listeners, and callers. Uh, I want to. I wanted to share some reports. Um, the first report is there was uh, a a white female uh, cowboy boot cowboy boots wearing. You know, because they, you know, they like to wear those boots on the Fridays. I might be some kind of white coat. But anyways, uh, she was talking about how the black female supervisor was um, mentioning that she was making mistakes. And her and two other white females had another session of uh, talking about the black female. And one of them said, you know, well, did they talk to you like a dog? Like they did last time. So she didn't really say that they did that because they've, they've been trying to find ways to um, 
antagonize and sabotage the black male and black female in upper tier um, title positions, but see, they're still black. So uh, the white people have ganged up, of course, like I mentioned in prior times that I called in. So she uh, was saying that she went to the new HR lady and said that she, this black female supervisor, has made new people cry, right? Trying to make it seem like she a bully or she's, uh, you know, being aggressive and all of that. They like to try and use that kind of language. So she's trying to get out of being critiqued on her making mistakes with the paperwork, bringing in e-file and paperwork. Um, and it, it pretty much went to saying that, uh, she was, um, talking about how, oh, well, you know, they're desperate and things like that. And they don't want to, they don't want to fire any, uh, they don't want to do all, go through all the paperwork. I, I think I mentioned before, but it's just, it's, it's interesting how she was manipulating that and, it was reported to me that she was at the desk crying and everything. So uh, she's been described as a manipulator. Uh, and I wanted to go into my next one was kind of similar, similar because we have a, a customer that comes in to do research uh, from DOT department of transportation and she was talking about how bad the traffic was coming from the interstate, right? And she's talking about how she thought the cops were following her. Uh, and she's like, oh, my goodness. I hope they're not trying to pull me over or anything. Because, you know, all I have to do is just cry tears and they'll leave me alone. It works every time. And I said, I bet you it does. So she didn't say nothing. Um, my, my, uh, my next one is a black female reported to me that her and another black female wore the same colors and a white woman, a new white woman, I says to the front counter said, Oh man, I guess I missed the memo. The memo This is the second time I missed the memo man, I'm beginning to feel segregated. So ever since I used the term, now people are using it. So, but yeah, she said she felt segregated. So uh, the black female replied, well, she wanted to say something else, but this is the report she gave me. said, well, now you know how I've been feeling all my life or something, something like that. Uh, but she wanted to once again say something else, but... <laughs> Uh, that, that was what she said. Um, the, the next one was earlier this week, I guess there was an issue with security. I don't know if somebody brought in a weapon or what, because they sent out, uh, like an email saying that, well, starting on Tuesday morning, we're going to start making sure everybody brings in everything through the belt, through the, through the machine. Cause I guess they let something go by, but they didn't 
They didn't go into detail now because apparently it's a different type of email that we got than what the courts got upstairs. So, uh, you know, I'm thinking that it may have been a gun or something like that, but I hadn't heard anything else about it. Um, but that was sent out uh, in the beginning of the week. Um, I had two more. Uh, the The next one was uh, there was it was some interesting comments uh, made, but I'll just I'll just point out this one. It's a white woman that works upstairs, so she was bringing me the mail. Um, and she, you know, she handed me the mail being with the mail in it. And, uh, I don't know how I got on this conversation, but she said, yeah, you know, I just, I can just make up something real quick. You know, I'm a, I'm a professional liar, right? Look at me, you know, right in the eyes. So I said, oh, really? Is that so? So, yeah, you know, uh. All you got to do is just, depending on the situation, you just have to develop a just a real quick story. I can just do it right off the right off the head, you know. And it's it's bad because my children they hadn't really gotten used to doing it yet. You know, I can tell that they're lying to me, you know. But I'm 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 a professional liar. Okay, so I've never heard nobody say anything like that. I said, okay, you know, duly noted and everything. Um, and my, my last one is I was taking the passport picture. Uh, and usually like when we get these, these, uh, crying children, they're usually these infants and these babies. So this one was, um, maybe like four years old or something like that. You know, blonde haired white child, right? So I take the picture of the, I guess the uh, the father and the mother, and I think the child had analyzed that it was a lot of dark skinned people in this room where I'm at. So um, the child became very fearful when it became his turn to his turn to sit on the stool, and I had the camera in my hand. So. He was, you know, I'm thinking that this was, you know, racism. Uh, so I'm just standing there holding the camera. And the father tries to think of different things because I already know that I can sense their embarrassment and everything like that because they were saying, oh, my goodness, I didn't know he was going to freak out like this. So they wanted to get the truck, the orange neon color truck that we had on the table. Uh, so I got that and I gave the child a truck. So he wanted to play with the truck, but the child's emotion and crying kept coming back. His face kept turning red every time they wanted to bring him near the stool. And then it stopped when they took him from the stool. So I was like, man, I'm just, this is getting annoying. So I was about to go to the front counter. Like, you know, somebody can take this picture. So the dad was like, well, I guess I could try and take the picture because the, he, the child kept crying. So uh, the dad said, you know, I could take the picture. So I gave him the camera and he asked the little boy, the racist child, 
I, I suspect. Uh, do you want me to take, do you want dad to take a picture? And he says, yes. <laughs> See? So this child could walk on his own two feet, you know, very coherent, responsive. He can talk. So uh, even still, they tried to, they tried to pick the child. The mother tried to pick the child up, sit him on the stool. The child started crying again. I'm like, oh, this is a racist little something. So in my head. So they said, well, do you want to finish the passport process? And then we can come back and continue to take the picture. The child said, yes, that'll be fine. I'm, you know, but I want to go home, you know, very talkative. And so I just went to lunch and then I came back. Um, the black people, you know, they were looking down at the desk. They didn't even want to look up. Okay. So I went to the counter. I was like, did y'all take the, the child picture? And then the, the non-white, non-black person was like, oh, yes, but he was a brat, B-R-A-T. So uh, the white woman said, oh, you know, my child can be like that, too, which I suspect, you know, with her being a clique member that also wears boots on Fridays, uh, train, I think trains her child to be racist, too, I suspect. So, of course, she would identify with that. Um but she was like, oh, no, this child's worse. And I went, you know, I asked who took the picture, and she said the manager did, which is a black female. So I went to the black female, and I asked, I said, wow, did you take the picture of that child? And she said, yeah, you know, they had to, they had to lay him down on the ground to take the picture. So, but she's also melanated. She's dark-skinned. So... The child still was crying and everything, so I still concluded it is racism, um, and that's pretty much all I have to share, you know. So that's true: racist man, racist woman, racist child, and and thanks for allowing me to speak. Mm-hmm. Sure, we have uh, folks, maybe new listeners, first time hearing the cows or what have you, and they're you know still trying to learn what is racism, you know, what how how does it all work? What does all that mean? Did he just call a four-year-old white child a racist? Oh, my God. What kind of crazy black extremist cult is this? Like, my God. Can't, he's just he's not accustomed to being around strangers and all. That's all it is. He's just nervous. Everybody gets nervous at that age. Oh. Uh, with with the uh, the opening remark where you said that they, they asked... Uh, did they talk to you like a dog? Was that the an accusation being made about one of these, the black female or the black male being aggressive and angry towards them? Or was this being asked of a black person? It was, it was, a, it was, um, a older clique member, right? A older white woman asking a younger white woman, uh, about her encounter with a, a black, um, a black male, the black male, um, uh, civil court director, the, the, the same one that the, the white guy was saying, Oh, well, if it was a, if it was a tall white guy, you wouldn't, you wouldn't think this way. The same, the same black guy. So she was asking her, uh, did he talk to you like a dog? Like he did the last time. You know what I mean? So I'm like, dang, man, <laughs> they do not do that to the white people. Over there. Like that's, that's a mischaracterization of me. Mm. 
I don't know too many jobs uh, in the world where a black person is allowed to talk to a white person like a dog and have that be tolerant. I mean, President Obama was not allowed. (laughs) Remember the beer summit? He didn't talk to that white officer in New England like a dog. And he was the president and had to apologize and backpedal. He didn't apologize, but I mean, man, backpedaling and let me recalibrate and I didn't say it right. And ooh, come on now. He said before that the black supervisor, white woman had to come and tell him like, hey, man, go ahead and crack the whip, man. Discipline these folks, man. Get on them. You know, talk to them. Let them know. You don't have to keep, you know, coming. It didn't sound like he was talking to folks like they were a dog either. Gossiping, gossiping, gossiping. Unjust networking, really. Yes, he's a mischaracterization, racist mischaracterization. Uh, and then talk to see, Negroes are bullies. Aggressive. We get the same thing that we've heard all day long from cradle to grave. They see they're aggressive. Got rape tendencies. You got to keep an eye on them. See, they're angry. Look, see, see. Making the same thing. Making us uncomfortable making us white women uncomfortable. We got to come and sit and weep and cry. Talk to us all aggressive, hurt our feelings all the way through whole life. Is that the black male experience? Anthony Broadwater through and through. (sighs) He said the white woman sat at the table and, and said, man, the police are out there following me. I got a kilo of cocaine in the trunk. I added that part myself, but uh oh man i just cry you know that's let's just get out of everything with that i just start crying he said he told her uh i bet it does man he is the most hated negro on the job boy i bet he's telling everybody just to be funny like whoo i just cry and cry and cry and i just get out of it i don't get a ticket or nothing keep my kilo in there and keep it pushing then i bet you do yeah. i hate that oh i hate him i hate him vindictive uh the white especially when they're seeing through like mm-hmm, mm-hmm, i know how you practice racism mm-hmm. you were black that wouldn't work right hmm. the uh sit and see they're not ignorant about racism with that whole dynamic. And then they come back the same thing with the words. He said, oh, you all got your little memo. Coordinate your little nigger outfits. I feel so segregated. <laughs> Triple T's, man. And he said that now everybody just got to find different unique ways to invoke the word segregated in the workplace while not talking about white supremacy. We, he said the tacky one they had before the meeting. We, we were so segregated before. We couldn't come together for our group meetings. But now we're back. We've triumphed over segregation. <laughs> like, come on. <laughs> with the, And again, as he said now, the networking, the most hated nigger in here talking about segregation. All the, we'll show him segregation. I'm a victim of segregation. You all coordinating your outfits and such and don't even tell me. They got, uh, I've never heard that one either. He said he talked to going down, doing the mail and such. She said, I'm a professional liar. What? <laughs> what is that? What does that even mean? Oh, yeah, I'm quick on my feet with it, man. I get that story rolling and boom, 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 boom. I'm a pro at it. 
I don't know. It's part of being a professional liar, being also I am superb at detecting lies because she branched right at it. I see my children. See, they're not good at it. See, I can already tell. Really? I'm like, wow, that's part of being a professional liar. Amazing. <laughs> like any, who else do I work with? That's a professional liar. Maybe we can get a, a list of all the what we've been saying all the time master deceivers like she put the title on herself thank you for telling me I'll make sure to get receipts every time I have dealings with you I might need to get a recorder a witness like thank you for telling me keep you and the weeping white woman talked about how dangerous they are like Jesus keep all of you in mind uh, let's see the passport man We've talked about that before, man, uh, the, the racist children and folks I've said we've had folks who said, hey, we've had white guests who were on the program. Old Chuck Stewart, he said he said he was for and a bigot. He already knew what to think about black people. He just came on the program and said that and he said the age four specifically and he said it was racist first. So we can scratch out bigot. He said at four. I'm a racist. I already know what a nigger is and how I'm supposed to feel about them as a four-year-old white boy. That's what he said. That was just days ago, literally. So, I guess if we got newer listeners, I guess maybe it could have been some sort of phobia and I don't like being around strange people and strange places. I know children do that sometimes, but I also know, hey, white people even the babies apparently they are not ignorant about racism they learned that very early as chuck stewart said he heard white mom white dad he heard them talking about black people even at four brain computer had already done the math i know what a nigger is heard mom and dad talk about that uncles and grandma and grandpa and all the rest of them so, hey, this, in fact, hey, there's that word again. Uh, he has said where he works at, that's the segregated area. So if he came in and, oh my God, what is, and then the Nick got the, oh, yeah, I can see that. Might have been the parents knew what was up to them, saying maybe it would be if we get the nigger away from the camera. Maybe you should do the picture maybe that'll work we get the nigger out of here and he'll he'll i mean i get i mean hey people can i don't have children so maybe you know folks see that do you have black children that come in that cut a fool like that and you know just i'm not gonna sit down i'm not gonna take a picture like you know get away from me you two do you have black children that do that non-white children I, i've yet to see black children come in behaving that way like he was, he was saying, "I'm ready to go home." Uh, he was standing, you know, away from them against the the the, uh, the shelf. You know, he kept telling them, "I'm ready to go home." And this, like he he was he was mature for uh, definitely racist. I think I suspect he was practicing racism, but I hadn't seen black children come in behaving like that. Mm. Well, there's lots of documented evidence. I said you you can go back in the archives because we got a few of those of very young 
uh, white children being involved in racism in a variety of ways. Uh, the one book about the purge in Georgia, uh, they talked about white children were used to keep the niggers out of town. And they were like five, six, seven, not much older than this young fella. Uh, and they knew enough like, oh, yeah, we can be a part of the security uh, patrol to make sure that the niggers do not invade. So he used the word suspect. Lots of logical counter racist reasoning why one would suspect. Yeah, he's for race soldier in training, racist child. Yes, already. Probably knows some good nigger jokes already, unfortunately. Uh, we will assume we nabbed everybody. Yes. Assume we got to everyone. Much obliged for everyone's participation. Caller in Florida, retired firefighter, Z's mom, Bay Area mom, her offspring even dialing in from New England. Hope he is warm and dealing with the blizzard as best he can. Like, Jesus, I'm so thankful we do not have all that out here. Like, woof. I, everybody that's in the path of the snowstorm, I know that hit such a, a large chunk uh, of regions like, man, stay warm. I hope you have the generator just in case. Hopefully it won't be needed, but hopefully power, food, water, necessities and uh, the snow will hopefully melt really soon. Uh, my empathy is with you all. Stay warm. All of that said sobriety would be best under conditions of white supremacy racism we will need high functioning brain computers to solve this problem in addition to being sober if you're out and about this is not a time for verbal confrontations you should be thinking could be a lot of Kyle Rittenhouse out and about armed assault rifle if you didn't leave your residence prepared to die and or kill exit you don't know if they have an entire armed entourage at the ready if you're in a vehicle you are sober buckled not on the cell phone doing the small things that we can to stay safe in a system of white terrorism and doing the small things that we can to minimize contact with race soldiers mark ged Furman. all of that said creator we ask that you help us remain patient with other black people victims of white supremacy we ask that you help us remain patient with ourselves remind us to demonstrate the highest levels of black self-respect at all times in all places each and every time we are in contact with another black person it has been time replace white supremacy with justice immediately cow signing out thanks all for tuning in no name calling no gossiping nigga you so brainwashed i'm a victim no brother problem. you're a victim uh, i'm a up. victim of 400 years of conditioning shut up the man has programmed my conditioning mm -hmm. even my conditioning has been conditioned uh.